Thank you for listening to another episode of Pin the Q Podcast. We're preserving the culture and traditions of the fire service is our priority. For more information, visit www.pintheq.com and subscribe to Pin the Q Productions on YouTube. It's our honor to showcase the best of the bravest. everyone, welcome back to Pin the Q Productions, Pin the Q Podcast, special episode today. I have with me to my right, my right-hand man, Ray Tremor. And uh, what's exciting about this episode is, directly to his right, his dad. Um, we've talked about this quite a bit on the show, about legacy firefighting, family firefighting. And we've had so many people on the show that expressed that to us. I mean, you know, walking around the firehouse in diapers. And, and we were lucky to have those experiences and talk to those guys. And girls. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool now to be able to bring it even more personal because it's near and dear to us because, you know, it pops. Yeah. Um, when I first met Ray, uh, Ray was on the show and then, um, you know, transitioned into being part of the family here up in the queue, which is awesome. Episode 54 means something else, too. And it wasn't by design, <laughs> which is kind of funny. So we're going to get into that, too. But again, this is episode 54 of Pin the Q Productions. Uh, this is a special one. Um, so obviously, this is my dad, and uh, I mean, I don't think you need any introduction at all. I think you can explain yourself quite well. But uh, talk about our legacy and talk about who you are and where you come from. Oof. We uh, we come from a long, windy road. It's the best way to put it. Um, I come from a police family. My dad was a New York City police sergeant. Uh, hated firemen with a passion. And that was all because uh, twice he got injured in line of duty, and both times it was some sort of motor vehicle accident involving a off-duty firefighter. And he didn't have him in the greatest regard. Uh, I found out later on that it was more he respected what firemen were about. He uh, he told me a story one day where he was admitted he was stupid. Two patrolmen, him and his uh, partner Randy Johnson. There would be cops in the village in the 50s, 60s. Smoke coming out a window. They're like, ah, screw these firemen. We're going to get them. They were in there. They kicked the door in. There was somebody in the living room. And next thing you know, they're on their hands and knees gasping for air. And the firemen dragging them out, oh, throwing yeah. them down the stairs, calling them stupid. Um, my dad was a really good guy. Uh, I had a great relationship with him. He wanted me to be a cop. I took the police test when I was 19. And... Uh, he made me take the, the city class and learn how to take the test because what the hell do I know? Yeah, right. I was, I was going to college at the time, not even doing my homework or buying books. <laughs> I see he was as good as an A, Dad. You know, he right. hated it, but it, he left. Um, I came out number 326 on the police list. Wow. Killed it. But 19 years old and 
a lot of political problems going on at that time, and um, I actually failed the medical. They said I'd be paralyzed. No kidding. But that's what they did back then when they wanted to trim certain groups out of the list, and right, it's right. just part of growing up. Lo and behold, in 1981, I was taking all the, the civil service tests, and within a week, I got the troopers, New York City police, and New York City fire. So you had to make a decision. Oh, yeah. Within two days, I'm looking at this going, you got to be kidding me. My father, he warned me. He's like, when it comes, it comes. Yeah, you know, yeah, I told yeah. him and his friends the same thing over the years. So he's like, what are you going to do? Got a decision to make. I said, well, I'm not going back to college. I hate college. I said, uh, not going to be a trooper because I'm not going to go live in New Paltz in a barrack. So I threw that away. And he said, you're going to be a fireman. I'll be a cop. So I don't think so. He said, no, I understand. I'm senior. He was a police sergeant, prostitution and gambling. He was senior sergeant in New York City. He's like, I'll get you anything you want. Like, yeah, no, and I big letters F you on, on it, and I became a fireman. And uh, he was pissed. Yeah. Because uh, we just we just literally talked about it at the beginning of the show about legacy and, and mm -hmm. family. Yeah, he's like, but, you know, at the time I was shooting marksmen. You know, he knew that I pretty much I could do anything. I put my mind to it. But he also, at that time, didn't take into consideration the Tremor legacy of you can put a thousand people in it in a big clump and throw a rock. You know it's going to get hit in the head. It'll be one of us. <laughs> I've you heard know. that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, that was his claim to fame. So he looked at me. He's like, "Really, you're going to be a fireman?" I said, "Yep." And uh, two weeks later, I'm in the fire academy. And uh, it, it, the funny part of it is, you know, you don't appreciate your parents when you're young. You know, and kind of the stupid lessons. It's uh, five in the morning. Of course, my first day in the academy is eight inches of snow. I got a 77 Monte Carlo. What a way to start probie school. Yeah. I, well, it gets better. I get out. I put it in gear. As I hit the shifter, shifter cable breaks. Oh, man. So I look at him. He's at the window standing there in his underwear with his cup of coffee because he's getting ready to do a day tour. I'm like, have your keys? And he gave me the finger. <laughs> Some walk. <laughs> All right, screw you. We got a shovel. Chalked the wheels, went underneath it, put it in gear, off I went. Um, he didn't talk to me for a little while. Then uh, a couple weeks into it, he's like, so, smart guy, where are you going to go? <laughs> Cake job, New York City fireman. You know, we ride around, women love us, unlike you cops. You yeah, know? Yeah. I'll go to Brooklyn or Staten Island and just have a nice, easy career. You don't say that to a New York City cop. Who has all these connections. Yeah. <laughs> One of the funniest parts of uh, Proby School Especially back then, I mean, it's a big $22,000 a year you're making, and you don't get paid for the first three weeks, so you're broke. Right. You know, so if you did something stupid, said something stupid, the one guy, Captain Sacramento, he was probably the life of the academy. He kept everybody going. But as soon as you did something stupid, dollar. New York City Fire Department, we have the burn center cans. So, like, extra money from a meal goes in the burn center. Right. Dollar, I think everything was a dollar. I probably spent 20 bucks my first four weeks in the academy. So, uh, in the end, the day before we're graduating, we have a party out in the Rockaways. We're busting the Sacramento and Mitchell and everybody there. They're like, yeah, there's one guy that did something really stupid in his past life, and he gets sent the furthest from home. It's like, well, I know where I'm going. I, I already got it set up. My buddy over here has got me hooked up. 278 guys next day. Sacramento, he explains the whole thing. He says, today's a $2 day. There's some... Idiot that did something wrong, pissed off some chief, whatever. Streamer, stand up. 
Oh, man. You gotta be kidding me. That's what he said. You know where you're going? I said, no. 69 engine. Okay. He said, you know where that is? No. Harlem. And I guess I had this glazed look. He's like, you don't even have to know where Harlem is, do you? I said, I'm 22 from Staten Island. No. Sit down, stupid. This is worth two bucks to me. And that's, you know, that's the way your career started in the fire department. Right. But, um, I got sent to the busiest firehouse in the world. So, bro, before, before we even get into that, talk to me a little bit about, you know, because we have a lot of these young guys that are watching girls and, and they, they have no clue what it's like to get into appropriate school or fire academy somewhere. What was it like for you, like, to be uh, in the academy? You know, it's like looking at a skyscraper. You come into Randall's Island, and it's made from military tubes. It's these, all these tube buildings. And, like, of course, first thing, what does everybody latch on to? Which, I mean, it, to him, <laughs> I find it amazing. He's got a tiller. Right. When I first found out Harrison had a tiller, I'm like, really? I had to go to chauffeur school to finally drive a tiller. <laughs> you walk into the firehouse. Uh, and that was, like, one of the things we gravitated to. Because it's like you said. I remember when I was 9, 10 years old. I was a Boy Scout. And we went to um, Ladder 85 in New Dorp, Staten Island, with the Boy Scouts. And I got to sit in the back of the tiller. And I remember saying, I'm going to drive one of these one day. It's amazing, you know. That yeah, I never had an aspiration or thought that it would really be a fireman. I thought I was going to be right. a veterinarian, you know. Right. And um, actually, where I got sent in Harlem, 28 truck was a tiller. No kidding. So I'm, just, I'm just like awestruck. So, yeah, when you go in the academy, you, know, you see these hard-ass guys, the big handlebar mustaches and... You know, who the hell are you? Proby, sir. Don't call me, sir. You know, it's very semi-military. You know, these are guys from the 60s and the 70s, so they're not going to... I mean, these warrior guys. I mean, these... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I got on January 7th of uh, 82, we uh, we didn't have Scott masks. We had the old... They are actually just applying the standard Scots. Right. As the probie, I used to have to chase the senior guy and try and get him to put a standard Scott on while I'm trying to get mine on. Did you ever try and put one of them on? Oh, yeah, the steel ones? Yeah, it's like oh. putting scuba gear on. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just very daunting. and You know, I'll be the first one to admit, I'm scared to death of heights. I mean, it's, my father was the worst. At least I could go up two stories and paint the trim on the house. He wouldn't even do that. Um, so... My two fears of the academy was the scaling ladder. Right, right. Or right. the scary ladder, as most people know. That was one of our evolutions. You had to scale the five-story building. Right. Fifth story, you tie off and lean back. I mean, because you're going to be a fireman in New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It was standard tool. Every yeah. truck had one. Um, that and repelling. Right. It's like, oh, my God, you're not going to tie Because literally what I'm thinking about when you're telling me this, I'm thinking, okay, well, he's going to come out a window. <laughs> and he's gonna climb ladders. I mean, yeah. that, that's what that's what you know. That's what it's about. Yeah. yeah now, f- nowadays, that's day one of the academy. You put the stick up, and guys will. You have to go up, climb up, and then lock in and lean back. That's just how they weed guys out now. Because yeah. if it's your fear and you can't do it on day one, then see you later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a make or break thing. Um, and, and it was very intense. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you're looking at these daunting buildings. You know, right. The, the train cars. You know, and it's funny, years later, when I was on the rescue, going back to the academy, and you're looking at it going, I can't believe this was so impressive at one time. Right, you know, it, right. And now you're one of the movers and shakers, you know? Yeah you, you, yeah, you go from Clark Kent to Superman. Right. You know, but, but that's what every fireman does. When A real fireman with real heart or, or girl, you know, I mean, there were some really impressive ladies out there. You know, it, there were three different types, and the ones with heart, the ones that care. 
Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. You're, you're the best. Absolutely. You know, um, what was the relationship like, the bond with, uh, with the people in your probate school? Still friends today. Right. You and know, it, it's, it's awesome. You, unfortunately, you know, especially being retired, um, lots of times you didn't see these guys until a funeral. You know, it's like putting your class A's on. Right. You know, everybody loves a uniform. We hate it because it doesn't usually have a good connotation. Um, it was uh, actually, we were like F troop. My squad leader <laughs> was um, a Spanish guy. Poor guy died 9 11. Uh, Suar. Um, he had a lisp. So, okay, squad, left, white, left. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it was, the, the range of emotions every day, the right, stuff right. you have to do. And, yeah, they're looking at us going like, you're a bunch of uh, idiots. Um, there might have been an incident where I had him by his throat in the cafeteria. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, you look back on it and it was, it was part of the greatest experience you could ever have. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and like I said, it's just, it's just it was overwhelming. You know, right. it, it, you get sworn in. We got sworn in the Fashion Institute, FIT in Manhattan. You know, it's 300 guys. And um, did, you know, that, did that come around at this point? Oh no! Still, Not still, yet. wow! Not yet. Wow! He actually didn't come around until I got a, got the medal. Wow! That's when it really. But at that point, it hit him hard that um, I did make the right choice. But he did get to save before he got sick, so you know it was good. But um, just a little fast forward. My, like I said, being a New York City cop, I didn't know. I always knew like where I was in, in Brooklyn. That was the seven uh, two precinct. Um, I mean the six eight. The seven two was right next door. We're in Bay Ridge. That's Park Slope. And uh, used to go to all the fires. I didn't know it. No kidding. Used to watch and just sit there going, "That kid's insane. He's gonna die." So, so this whole time he's mad at you. He's he's, he's watching you on his jobs. He was. It's yeah. You know, mad isn't the right word. He disappointed. He wanted. He he knew I would have been a good cop. Right. At least he thought I'd be a good cop. He realized later on that, you know, we're more like Lucky Eddie's here. So, unfortunately, I would have been one of those guys who would have had to use my gun. You know, that's just the way it is. Right, right. You know, it's like when we're doing the NASCAR stuff. All of a sudden, there's a fire, and everybody turned around like, let me guess. I'm like, yep, I was there. You know, <laughs> right spot at the right time. Some people are like that. That's that's kind of been it for me. I've been very lucky. Um but yeah, he, he thought that, you know, me and him used to shoot every day. You know, like, I could shoot marksmen, you know, with, with a rifle. He's like, you can go to ESU, you can do that, you know, you do the cars. And um, later, like I said, later on, he, he realized that, um, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that same perception. The same guys that tortured us in the academy and used to bust our chops. Later on, when the you know, lieutenant's test came out and I didn't take it or pass it, they're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Right. You, know, you you were almost valedictorian. I'm like, it's just not for me. I'm not there. You know, and I could probably pass the test now without even trying. I remember more now than I did then. It's just, you know, it, it's it's an evolution. Whether you're a cop, fireman, EMT, I mean, I don't care what you do. If it's something as intense as what we do, you evolve into what you end up being. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and um, like I said, it's. I realized when we first walked into the academy, I'm looking around and. You know, it's like you um, you see the tourists with their mouth hanging open in miles. New York City, and there's, you know, there's the yeah. guy who wants to play three-card money or something, you know, ready right. to rip them off. Um, we were just a bunch of starstruck kids, and 
You know, it's any academy, they knock you down. Uh, you know, in today's world, it's mean and hazing, but it's not. It's very important. Oh, Bill's character, man. It does. It does. Um, like I said, I, I got sent to the busiest firehouse in 1982. They did 1,960 hours of firefighting structural work. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just, it was called the Harlem Hilton. You know, and Vigiano and all these guys, they were all regulars there. They just, that's where they worked. You know, Dunn was there. You know, and it's funny because I see the books that you, know, you guys have to read and learn from. I'm like, yeah, you don't want to go drinking with those guys. They're a bunch <laughs> of knuckleheads. But that's what some of the greatest guys are, you know. Right. Outside their element, they're just regular people. Um, I was 22. I really didn't realize where I was or what I had. My dad, the whole point that is, my dad's friend was Joe Rios, who's Lieutenant Rescue One. Back then, it wasn't about paperwork or anything else. It's, it's who you knew. And uh, he called his buddy Joe, says, teach this kid a lesson, send him somewhere where they're going to kick his ass. And they did. That's how he ended up they in Harlem. Did. <laughs> and um, yeah. what he didn't realize was there was no greater gift he could have given me. Absolutely. He was hard on me. He made me think about it. But the one thing he did say before I started the academy, and I've told him the same thing, if you're going to do the job, Always do your best. You'll never regret anything you've done if you always know you've done your best. I've always taught it. I've always believed it. And, you know, I, I think more people need to teach that because that's what it was. So now I'm, I'm, I'm in this firehouse with these guys. I mean, a couple guys wouldn't even talk to me. Kid from Staten Island, he can't even grow a mustache. You know, I had a big space in between. <laughs> you know, it was the cheesiest looking thing you've ever seen. Um, Hence why I don't grow a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fight your genes. Exactly. <clears throat> Um, but you, you know you, you learn a lot too the first couple of weeks I was there I mean it was the busiest firehouse nothing nothing didn't catch a job not even a car fire and they're looking at me going you suck yeah, you, you like go. a white cloud yeah you gotta go then um, we had this one chief uh, chief Bauer middle of the day it's like rigs out of service yeah come on you're coming with me well time for you to go to work and he took me up to Washington Heights and we come out and you, know, you can smell something I've been to a fire. What the hell do I know? So come on, look around the side of the building. Around the side of the building, it's coming out. Fourth and fifth floor, it's ripping. Like, okay, go inside. As we're walking up the stairs, here comes a bunch of firemen. They're dragging him down the stairs. One guy, the skin's hanging off his neck. Another guy's face is all burned. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, what happened there? He's like, we'll get to that. Come on, go up on the floor, and there's uh, four apartments per floor, so it's you know it's a new law tenement. Like, okay, you know. So they're, they're hitting it. And what happened was when they went down, they misjudged it. They didn't realize that the living room and the kitchen connected. So they were right at the, living, the kitchen door when they hit the living room and it came around and got them. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, I was, it, well, I'll get to the whole story. The, um, so a bunch of cops standing there like, uh, Chief, can the uh, new guy do some searching for us? Okay, whatever. You know, the chief starts laughing. He's sure. What do you need, boys? He's like, I think you need to search those apartments. See, it's a legal search and seizure if I open that door because we have the divine right as the fire department. So, yeah, tough guy. Kick the first door in. Little haze. Search. There's nothing. Hit the second one. Little more haze. And they're like, uh, yeah, you go do that one. We're gonna we're gonna check this one. All right, you know. Come back out. I got a chief. He's saying, no, no, nothing in there. And they, 
pick him out with a brown paper bag and a big smirk on their face. And I get this. I'm like, all right, what's up? How many fires you been to, son? This is my first fire. So you've never searched before? It's not why. They open the bag. I missed $30,000 in cash, three kilos of cocaine, and a three fifty seven Magnum sitting right on the bed with the triple beam scale. But you're looking for fire. Oh, no, it was a hot shot. I'm looking under the bed. I'm thinking all the, always check under the bed, check the drawers, check the bathroom. Didn't think to check the top of the freaking bed. Yeah. Um, so my, my um, reward for doing that was I had to go in the, in, into the fire apartment now and help them bag what was left of the, the body that was in there. So it was your first fire. First fire. And you're, and you're I saw it all. Unbelievable. All in one shot. Wow. That's and, that, and then after that, it was like a machine. We had an arsonist up there. 69 and 28, that's the house where um, Jerry Frisbee and Fitzpatrick, the rope that broke in 1981. Oh, yeah. Fitzpatrick was from that house. No kidding. Well, um, Frisbee, I forget now. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, I'm going there. I mean, it, three weeks before I got there, Three guys got stabbed getting off the rig. Um, yeah, so I mean, like the experience there, the first really hot night, you know, early June, almost 90 degrees. And I was like, you're working tonight? Yeah, I'm working 24. He's all right, let me know what you're here. What? Let me know what you're here. Gunfire. <laughs> well, as soon as it hits 65, I mean, it's you don't see anybody. And there was a big park across the street. Over 65 degrees, these massive speakers the size of this table would come out, and they're playing basketball and music. I'm like, where's this equipment come from? You know, it was, it was very um, intricate lifestyle up there. You know, Harlem was just so amazing. You know, the Morningside Drive in the middle of the summer, they got the steel drums in the middle of the highway. No kidding. Oh, yeah, it was just, it was culture, pure culture. Um, and uh, I'm sitting there reading. Pop, pop, pop. Oh, shit. Okay. Slide the pole. Come down. The doors open up and there's a body. No kidding. Believable, man. That's I'm like, where the hell did I, where, where am I? You know, it's so. Um, yeah, because you think about being a firefighter, this isn't even going through your head. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, we're going to do some first aid. Yeah. Nope. Well, it gets better. So now I'm sitting there trying to read 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Pop, 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 pop. Engine only. ERS, no contact. Go to the corner. Make a left. Go to the corner. This guy laying around on the corner. Go to get out. Whoa, what are you doing? Drinking. I said, let's go. You want him to live? Yeah. Sit here. And we drove away. I was just like beside myself. Wow. Chief, Chief Bauer pulls me inside. He's like, listen, you got to understand something. He said, you don't get off the rig. He said, because they'll throw the coping off the parapet and hit you right in the head. So you always have your helmet on. You never get off the rig without looking. He said, from what they said, you tried to do it all. I'm like, yeah, but aren't we going to do anything? He says, yes. If you want him to live and not get shot yourself, you don't touch him. Because they'll go right over your shoulder or shoot through you to make sure he's dead. That's the way it works. So I was like, you know, I'm this 22-year-old kid culture. And this, this is all in my first couple weeks. Man, it's you know? incredible. <coughs> I guess I was there about um, six or seven weeks, and we had a fire where I wound up, you know, I already showed I knew how to figure out the pumps, the chauffeur got hurt. So they're like, all right, this kid's, he's got some brains. So they took me off my probation. They're like, oh, you're working a 28 truck tonight, overtime. And I'm working with Tom Neary. 
most decorated flyman in New York City history. Love Tom. Great guy. So much fun. Legally insane. You know, just I'd seen him do some stuff. I'd be just like, you're at it. But that, that's fire. You just walk through fire. Literally seen him walk through fire. Wow. Yeah, take him to the hospital, a little singed. I'm okay. You know, but the, the guy just had no fear. You know, it was just amazing. So, 9 o'clock, get a call. They're transmitting the box. I'm like, holy shit, here we go. 1075. Pull up. It's coming out a couple windows. Grab my can, grab my hook, get off. They're like, where are you going? Where am I going? Like, going with you guys. To what? Fire? <laughs> what kind of building? I don't know, big red brick one. Sit on the bumper. And he knows this was part of what I did out here, you know? But it has, it had a purpose. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm, I was almost in tears. Like, Chief Bauer comes over, he's like, you gotta read. I'm like, yeah, but Chief, how am I supposed to learn? He says, they're not gonna babysit you, dude. You're not in, you're not in Oz anymore. You know, it's, you gotta learn, read your letters, blah, blah, blah. Like, All right, I was pretty upset. Next couple of weeks, man, I've been doing my reading, whatever else, you know, back in the truck, two or three weeks later, 11 o'clock at night, 10.75, coming out, uh, what kind of building? Uh, tenement, what kind? Uh, sit down. So I'm jumping ahead a few weeks later, back in the truck, I've been reading, finally figured out tenements, new law, old, old law, you know, rip, front fire escapes, you have four apartments per floor, you know, some of them... You even have two two apartments on the first floor in the lobby. You know. Get off, blah, 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 blah. You know, big smiles, and half of them already walked away. They knew. They knew I was ready. And I won't even tell you what they did to me. But, um, you know, I, I wound up you know, running away from them because they were trying to haze me a little bit. And I wound up at the fire door. They lose water. Engine goes out. Next to him, my regular lieutenant, my, my regular backup guys, they were in there. I wound up... In the truck, taking the nozzle, putting the engine's fire out. Next thing I went from being ridiculed sitting on the front bumper to that probe patch comes off now. I'm like, but I only have three months on. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you earned your respect. Yeah, yeah. But I took it. Absolutely. You know, and they didn't think I would. And what I love about that story is that, you know, I mean, I love that shit, man. They, they wanted you to learn, and they, you weren't, you were stopped. You mm -hmm. weren't going to go do what you wanted to do unless you learned. And it's funny, too, because after an that awesome fire... Lesson. The senior guy who's the the worst to me, he came over. He's like, I still don't like you. He says, you're a snotty little kid from Staten Island. He says, but remember, I need you to be your best on my worst day. He said, so keep on reading. That's awesome. And that was it. You know, it's stuff to live by. You know, it's and that's the way I learned. And um, yeah, so we bunch of fires, you know, and. I spent, uh, I didn't even last a year in Harlem. That's where now I found out about transfers and contracts. You know, I'm driving from the South Shore of Staten Island. To get to Harlem from Staten Island in the summer is three to four hours. Wow. You know, George Washington Bridge is a nightmare. Go up the, you, you just can't get into the city. It's right. impossible. So um, come home from uh, a, a night tour. My friend's father, they're doing a bunch of concrete, so... My dad taught me concrete to grab his floats and everything, tarps, go over there. And we, well, I'm saving the concrete. And next thing you know, we're floating concrete with a bunch of old guys sitting there smoking cigars, firemen. You know? Old guys 
So you don't want you want to get out of Harlem? I said, well, it's either I become an alcoholic or crash and get killed in a car. I haven't decided which one yet. I said, but yeah, I need to get closer to home. I don't want to move upstate. Do you know who they are? I'm like, they're just a bunch of old guys that aren't helping. It was the chief of department. No kidding. Oh, Hagen, the commissioner. You know, Holy the, cow. Yeah. They're just like, uh, they're like, yeah, you need to learn to read the Red Book a little bit too. Get us a beer. Yes, sir. You know? <laughs> and uh, before we left, the one guy, Chief Jones, was there. And they're like, um, dude, put your transfer in. You know, go up the next day in Harlem. My chief's yelling at me like, you have no points. You can't go. I never put my transfer in, but I went on the next order. Get a phone call. You know, my lieutenant, very irate. You promised me you were going to stick it out. I said, you know, Lou, go open my locker. Here's a combination. I, I didn't put it in. But back then, it was the, um, they call it a hook. You know, so what kind of juice you had. I didn't know anything about that. Right. You know, be careful who you talk to. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that they teach in the academy. Be careful who you're talking to. You don't know who they know or who's hooked up to what. And lo and behold, I'm no longer in Harlem. I'm in Brooklyn, Bay Ridge. And um, wound up in 241 Engine in Bay Ridge, 3rd Avenue, 67th Street, which I wound up uh, spending 11 and a half years there. And um, But you didn't do all 11 years in 241. Like You no. you started in 241 in the engine, but yeah. how long were you in the engine? Two years. You, back then, before you went to the truck, you tried to do at least three years in an engine company. You know, and you know, it's funny, too, because I t they still use that standard in some places today, but I mean... A lot of these places, guys lucky if he sees three or four fires in a year. You know, we were doing that sometimes in a tour. Right. You know, I mean, up in Harlem, I had a couple tours where I, I did 10, 12 fires. You know, I mean, and you're not talking a room and contents. You're, Man, you're talking fires. You're talking a, Blowing out a, windows. Yeah, a fifth, a fourth, a second, you know, some all hands. Um, yeah, I, went, I wound up in, uh, in Brooklyn, which was a little bit of culture shock. You know, I went from uh, the ghetto to, you know, a big, big lock parking lot where nice firehouse parked right on 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn. And uh, the first thing that happened to me when I transferred was some, uh, some nice little freckle-faced redheaded boy broke into my car and uh, smashed my dashboard to get the radio out of it. <laughs> Did $3,000 worth of damage. I'm like, wait a minute, I was up, up in the ghetto. And, and nothing happened to your no, car. No, for five bucks, I'd wax your car and watch it all night. Oh, that's you know, funny. It's, um, but it's, uh, Bay Ridge was a very interesting place because it's right where the, the Belt, BQE, Gowanus merges. So you have all the major highways. And you think about it, it's probably the most diverse area in New York City. We had two 30-story high-rise, subway, the ocean, the highways, um, you name it, we had it. That's such it a good point, yeah. They have more churches and bars per square mile than anywhere in the world. It's like in the Guinness Book of World's Record back you know, back at that time. And um, Which, funny enough, guess what town took that over with the most bars after Bay Ridge? I think it was uh, Manville. Harrison. Really? Yep. Because it was also a town called Manville up north that had the most Bars in one town, I think, in by the Guinness Book. Yeah, they, they they flip flop fast. That's funny. Yeah, that's interesting. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, never know. Yeah. I mean, it was, there was so many bars there. Like in the middle of the summer, ninety degree day, you could actually smell the girls' cologne just wafting down <laughs> the street because there's just so many people walking. You know, uh, very cultural. Um, we did a lot of work. Uh, I met some really it, Harlem was very hardcore. Um, 
Bay Ridge was a little more diverse. Um, like I was, 109 truck was with, with 241, and we had 201 engine and then 114 truck. They weren't a double house, but you know, they were like the dueling companies. Right. You know, in Harlem, if uh, 69 engine was first due and uh, 80 was coming at the same time, 80 would stop and let them go. Brooklyn, screw you. I'm taking you a fire, and they would. You know, they had a different way of stretching. It was, um, had to relearn everything again. You know, and here we go. What what was a standard for this one place wasn't for this place. And um, what, but, what was the difference between the, the two kitchen tables, like the kitchen table in, in uh, Harlem versus Brooklyn? It's got to be, I mean, culturally, everything's different, right? So It was. Was it, it different, was, too? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's things that you don't talk about, but um, you know, the Harlem was a three-story firehouse. And we had a battalion chief. Two forty-one, one hundred nine was just on its own. The biggest event we had was we had the gas pumps. So the fire marshals would come in and pump their gas, and every now and then the deputy chief when his pumps were down. Other than that, it was like its own little oasis. Kitchen was a little more private. Um, Harlem, we had uh, Walter Poor, guy could cook. Oh my God, gourmet chef. But you did not touch a pot. You would get your, you get berated and maybe even hit with a pot, you know. <laughs> where, um, where I went to Brooklyn, I had Terry Cleary. Terry, a little bit more of a drinker, a little more flamboyant. Not flamboyant, it was just big jolly, you know. Right. A, just a whole uh, person in himself. And, uh, you know, he loved to cook with wine, of course, a glass of wine for him. You know, but didn't, didn't bother anybody. He, he was a, you know, a good guy. And, well, one day I started cooking. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, food has no flavor. Got to make flavor. You know, <laughs> you know it's... Because um, this whole time you're developing all these relationships, man, all these friendships, these bonds. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. And, uh, Har- I, Harlem wasn't as personal. They lived all up in Rockland County, so they didn't really know each other. Brooklyn, it's more of Staten Islanders, and local people. So it was a little bit closer and... Like I said, the dynamic, we had some a little more laid back guys in, in the engine. You know, and it's like the Italian mob. You had Frankie <laughs> Pandulo and Dom Pal Castro and Ed Corsi. You know, it was the vowels and the non vowels. <laughs> and um, I gave them this one poor guy, John Stasio. I love John. Such a nice man. And uh, we would talk about porno just because he's very religious, very straightforward, <laughs> just to annoy him. Like, oh, you guys are going to die. You're going to hear balls. You know, the, the things we would say to him, we, I, I mean, my father would have beat me with a stick if he would have heard some of the stuff we said or did, but it was all part of it. And, and they would laugh. Well, your legacy lives on because somehow at the firehouse, this continually happens. It always gets brought up. We, so, try yeah. to, we try to ruin Frank's yeah. day by yeah. 6 1 a.m. and yeah. uh, succeed quite often. See, we all have goals. It's yeah. all part of it. it. Usually, about 6 1, yeah, we start, yeah, they start talking about things that I want to talk about. Yeah. Maybe the latest <laughs> will, by 6 30, his day is ruined. So, on well, a slow day. Well, it's like with my groups. We had the love groups and the hate groups. I mean, the hate groups, I'd go home and she's like, Did you fall down? I'm sitting there rubbing my ribs, like, No, just playing cards and laughing yeah, all yeah, freaking yeah. night. <laughs> Didn't you do anything? I said, Yeah, we had about 12 calls, two fires, you know, we played cards and. Just, you know, it, it was, there's never a day you didn't want to go to work. You know, it, it, it's an experience that, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, you know, every absolutely. call is different. You know, every, every dynamic is different. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there's sad times. You know, um, 
I'm going to reference to Raymond's podcast, which I, I brag about his episode. That, that you and again, I, I thank you for what you do. It's a great message. Thank you. And um, I've given him a hard time when George killed himself. Me and him had a very hard time because I don't do suicide well. I see it as a very vicious, greedy thing. Yeah, and that was and that was hard for me too because I mean. I had just lost one of my best friends to suicide and I didn't know what to think. Like that was the first time I had ever really dealt with that as, as an adult. And, uh, you know, I leaned on him for everything. So when I leaned on him for this and the reaction he had, I had zero empathy. Yeah. We clashed very hard about it. And it was, it was surprising to me. It took, it took me a long time and it took a lot of talks from him and I right. and to really a, sit down and understand it. Yeah. It, it, and that was the greatest dynamic of what he explained. Because I think some of our struggle has helped him explain, you know, he was being Ray, not Raymond, you know, right. and uh, I had to get that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, but that was the thing. We had a guy hang himself in the firehouse. No kidding. Had just gotten married. My in-laws lived down the street. And my mother called me up like, something bad must happen to the firehouse. There's red cars flying up the street to the firehouse. And you know what that means. That'll yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah that, th that's all car four, car two. You know, that's all the commissioners and everybody coming out and um so i mean i flew right into the firehouse and they were just cutting the body down that's how fast i get in there and um his reasoning was terrible um it destroyed the firehouse for a while i would watch fist fights i just watched the whole place disintegrate and it came down to a man just being selfish turns out he had a you know ex-marine you know, a head injury, which they might have correlated to it. Then, after years of looking at it, too, um, it's genetic, too. There, there was something in him. One of the saddest part is he had three beautiful little girls, blonde hair, blue eyed. And my um, protective response right after it happened, I used to call him dope on a rope. And finally, one guy got in my face. He's like, do you realize that one of those three kids have a 33% chance of killing themselves? Never thought about it before until then. And uh, Was this before I was born or after? No, it was before. This, I was thinking about it before. I think it was like 35, 36 years ago. Wow. Um, remember it vividly. I mean, we always do. And the damage it did. You know, I saw best friends beating the hell out of each other in, in, the, in the bathroom, you know, going at it. A lot of you know, like finger pointing and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, over the years, there's been some suicides and, you know, and it... it it took me a little bit, and he taught me. You know, once we actually we actually grew a lot learning from George. You know, and I said that that that's what was some of the important things of what Raymond was saying, because there is a lesson to be learned no matter what. Absolutely, it took me a long time to realize that. Um, I mean, he doesn't realize this. I mean, it's not something we talk about, but I'll share with you. And that that episode that we did together, you know. Uh, was so so meaningful for me too because I here I am starting a podcast just talking about firefighting things, not having a clue that that I'm going to be embarking in this you know this whole thing about suicide and fire service and it was never something I was ever planned on getting involved. You spun in. the wheel, you didn't know where it was going to land. Yeah, yeah, but and when he reached out and said he wanted to talk about, it, I'm like I'm thinking at first I I wasn't sure like do I really want to even talk about this because you know. This isn't something we talk about in fire service. Yeah, and but when, I'm so when glad we I even did. first talked about it, right. we, we said it was going to open up, you know, it might rip a couple <coughs> band-aids off, and we weren't really sure how it was going to go and the direction it was going to go. Right. And I think then, that's uh, what you need to do today. 
Yeah, and I mean, yeah. and just and we weren't even like friends at that. We point. didn't know we each be, other. Yeah, we yeah. met each other that yeah. night that we right. did the podcast, and then just becoming friends after that and watching what the show and you and like went through after that, like the progression. And it was it was crazy to watch, and it was it was crazy to watch because we made a promise to each other that night mm-hmm. about as long as we save one person's life talking about it, then we did our job. Correct. And within weeks, it wasn't even weeks, it wasn't even, even a week. It was a week that we. I got my first uh, message saying, "Hey, that how much that you know, watching the episode changed the the whole trajectory of that person's life, and and literally got themselves help." No, no, it's a gift. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, it, it's the one thing I've always said to a lot of people, like my mom and dad. You know, being my father was a cop, they could not understand why we go into burning buildings. They don't understand why we risk our lives for strangers. I'm like, but dad, you're a cop. He's like, we don't risk our lives for strangers. We do a job. And I, I kind of saw his point there. He's like, you do stupid stuff. Like one day he's sitting there, he says, um, so, firemen like to climb up fire escapes. I'm like, yeah, that's usually what the OV does. He says, and then the fire's coming out the window. That's right. And they like to crawl, crawl underneath that. I'm like, yeah. Then they go to the floor above it and they break a window and they go in. It looks pretty nasty. I'm like, yeah, gotta search for the floor above for a victim. He says, and then all of a sudden you see one stupid ass come flying out a window because the room lit up and he's, it looks like he's on fire and he goes and finds another window and goes back in. I'm like, what's your point? And he wigged out on me. I didn't realize he'd watched me that day. I didn't realize what I did. Then I saw some pictures and yeah, I went the floor above and it flashed on me, went back out, <laughs> put my butt out and went back in another window. You know, that's what we do. And he couldn't, he's just like, how do you freaking mind? You guys are death wish, you know? And he said, you're all suicidal. So with that thought, you know, right. suicide was always just a word. You know, right. it had no value. We're, we're, we're just crazy people. You know, and again, in the 70s, 80s, you know, early, even into the 90s, you didn't think about a cop using his gun, you know, or an EMT overdosing, you know, on purpose, you know, the, yeah. none of that stuff. You know, the, people just thought, we're nuts, right? you know? People came back from Vietnam. They're just crazy. No, it's PTSD now. Right. Yeah, you know, we understand it. Things are going on, man. Yeah, there's so much understanding that has to be taught with this job and everything we do. And, um, yeah, so, like I said, we, we, we had that experience, you know, and it, it bothered me. Um, it bothered me for a long time that, you know, I, I upset him to that point. And, you know, we talked it out, and I thought it was great, but... I mean, don't get me wrong. We used to go to the ski races, come back from the ski races. My friend Kevin Anderson, we skied the day before. All right, see you tomorrow night. I'm working. He's at 148. It wasn't even uh, 6.30 at night. We'd go up on a BQE and ESU cop, you know, I know. He, he said, yeah, nothing you can do. Like, you want us to do it? Pop the car, and you know, it was a little red charger. And I'm driving the rig, and I'm looking, looking. He's like, what are you looking at? I said, buddy mine's got a car like that. He's like, yes, this is badge. Got Kimmy, he slammed the door before I could get out. He's like, Ray, don't, don't. Make it, that that's not gonna be the last memory of him. Well, that's know. what he said. He, yeah. He told me later on. He's like, listen, your friend Kevin, you know, his neck was horribly broken. I don't want you to see him like that. Yeah. You know, Tony was a great guy. You know, he's. I said, appreciate it, brother. He's yeah, said, I definitely no want to see my brother like that either, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is a guy I was skiing with twelve hours before. You yeah, know, it's, it's like, crazy. Be kidding me. You know, and uh, that's that's the part of the job that people don't understand that don't do this job is that things are fine and then they're not in an instant. Right. Yeah. You know, they're just not. 
Yeah. Well, and see, that's kind of what I, I'm going to bounce a little bit, you know, with the whole thing. But um, I do give a lot of credit out here in New Jersey because what you do <laughs> is <clears throat> small town. See, in New York, like we had the only hearse tool other than Rescue 2 for many years in the 80s. I mean, Harvey Harrell created this sling we put on the air where we could sling our our 32B up onto the highway and ESU couldn't beat us. They were pissed. We would, we would steal their jobs all the time. We were cutting all the time. Um, you know, people don't realize you know, what we see and what, what we do up there. And, um, you know, it's the, the toll it, it, it it, it takes for what, you know, what what what, what we do, and um, the end of the day, though, we go home, throw the newspaper away, come back seventy two hours. There's no trace of what happened. There's no memory unless somebody actually knew somebody. Didn't count. Right. I've been to hundreds of fatalities, but I don't know. I had no personal connection. You come out here in a small town, everybody knows. Everybody knows that kid. Everybody's got a story for that kid. There's a face to that kid. I taught him right in the very beginning, don't put a face on him. He actually, he, he benched me a few times. I mean, you know, we're jumping forward a little bit here, but when we first started volunteering, you know, and I was, I did my junior time when I was 16 and 17. And uh, I went, you know, I went to the, I went to the fire academy myself. I came back and there was a few calls where, you know, I had just come back from the fire academy. So you're eager. You want to go. I want to cut. I want to do everything I can. And, you know, we live in Jackson and it's known for its accidents. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was a couple of calls where I was, you know, came in as a motor vehicle accident, confirmed extrication. And I'm like, this is it. This is my time to shine. And he would call the firehouse and say, don't let those kids on the rig. Take them out. And we're like, what the hell? You know, we're, we're probies, but we could do this. Like, what, why are you benching us? And he would just come back and be like, you'll, you know, you'll hear about it later, but I didn't want you there. And it made me mad, you know, like, like the story he was talking about before, about being benched. You're like, you know, what the hell? Like, I want to do this. And, uh, you know, it. Like you said, though, that small town effect, you know, next thing you know, you see the social media posts go up. And this is, you know, this is way back in 2007, 2008. And, uh, you know, you find out it's a kid you graduated with. It's right. a kid you were friends with. And, you know, you one of your sister's friends. And it, it just, it was hard. It was really hard. And, you know, this, this small town mentality, like he's talking about, it's it's incredible. It really is. It was tough. It was really hard to deal with. And we deal, we, I think I grew up fast and I learned how to deal with trauma fast because of it yeah and, and now and that's kind of what i'm kind of like segueing into it's you had a big bad city but you know and don't get me wrong like i said been the fires and friends got killed you know a guy guy from rescue uh four work works a day tour 10 o'clock at night he's dead in a, in a flashover you know louis valentino work works in rescue five you know a few hours later he's gone you know, it's like, she's, you know, um, yeah, so, um, Brooklyn was, was, was interesting. I said I did a couple years in 241 and then, um, a lot of guys got promoted and retired in, in the truck. So, uh, I came across the floor and they were already, <laughs> I was still in the engine. They were already teaching me to drive the, the, the ladder. <laughs> Love my Seagrave ladder. In the 1980s, I, I loved that truck. It was so easy. Two levers, slam the sticks, shoot the stick. That's it. It was just 30-second evolution, which, you know, 
part of thing where I got the medal. I was able to just, well, we, uh, normal New York City rigs did 61, 62. Well, I might have done 66, 67. <laughs> um, thanks, thank you, Jimmy Daly, the mechanic. Um, but, yeah, we would just fly around with that a single axle, fly around, trying to steal any, any job from 114 and... Um, yeah, the, the the rivalry was good, and actually, like one fourteen, there's still a little rivalry there, which that's what makes the job great. My high school gym teacher was John Drennan. No kid. Yeah, one of the Soho three. I used to fix John's car. Uh, you know, you really want to go drinking with that man? He was he was unbelievable. Um, he was just just such a personality, you know. And working with him, and then we you know we wind up losing him. Right. Um, yeah, met, met some really tremendous people. Had a great, great career there. And, um, what did you enjoy most about being on the truck? Like when you officially transferred to the truck for the first time, like that was yours. What What did you enjoy most about it? Like, I love the, 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 the diversity. You know, and <laughs> well, the, the common some of the common nasty names like you know, we used to call them, the engine guys the water fairies. <laughs> You know, of course, then you have the squad. They were the super water fairies. Just call them the squid. <laughs> my friend Steve still busts my chops. Um, you know, towel out of chickens in a basket. <laughs> yeah, take the elevator up. You know, and then, you know, hope you don't have to bleep it out, but we were shit on a stick to them, so you know, <laughs> it didn't matter. Um, I, I loved the ladder. It was, it was especially the straight stick, the rear mount. So versatile, so quick. Which is so interesting, man, because we started this out by you saying you were afraid of heights. Yeah. So here you are in New York City on a straight stick, 100 feet up. I paid somebody to finish my siding last year <laughs> up in this part. I couldn't get up there, and it wasn't comfortable. But I've climbed eight stories on that stick. It's, it's just I, incredible, man. It's trust. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I taught him that when we, when we built the Seagrave ladder. I said, learn to trust your equipment. Yeah. First thing Captain Sacramento taught us in the academy, trust your equipment. Right. I he remember said, going to the academy, and, you know, I had to go to 105 feet. And clip in with this huge carabiner and hang off as confidence. And I remember through the real Jesus. Yeah, having my feet on the top rung and just the ladder swaying like this back and forth. I'm like, oh my God, Jesus, just please hang on. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, and that whistling sound was the, <laughs> the air blowing through your what used to be your your pride. You know, it's yeah, it's it it's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah. Um well it's the same with the um we'll bounce back to the fire academy real quick. My two shining moments. Again, I was one of the last guys to use the scaling ladder. And of course, I think I'm smart, but I, I don't know a damn thing. <laughs> so they're waiting for the last guys to go. And the right. one who's been sitting there, so they made me tie off and lean back five times on that scaling ladder. Finally, the fifth time, was like, F it, you know, I put my arms back and did it. He's like, now you got it. Right. He says, I'm going to love repelling with you tomorrow. <laughs> So uh, the next day we were repelling, and there was one guy who's six foot nine in my class who's huge, made him look tiny. Um, Should have so, been NBA. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, I'm the last guy to go. I'm like, all right, listen, I'll buy you lunch for the next week. Just make sure you go nice and easy. Because I know even if that rope breaks, he can hold me. Right. I'm only 155 pounds. I was, just, I was pretty skinny. So tie off, and they, it was a lowering evolution. So. I go and rope jerks about five feet off the parapet. I have no problem. Be right there. Are you kidding me? They made me hang for like five minutes. Oh, man. Son of a bitch. 
<laughs> but I'm sitting there and it's like, all right, I'm looking around and it really wasn't that bad. I'm like, all right. Next thing you know, I hear, hey. Now the guy was lowering me. He's down on the ground waving at me. The, the shot of fear that ran through my body. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't crap my pants. But um, next thing you know, they just lower me down. I get to the bottom. I'm like, what? He's like, dude, they came over. They unclipped the belt because it's, it's, it's on the harness. It's on right. the D-ring. Yeah. It's tied off. The anchor guy is just a guy. He just took his two fingers, grabbed the rope, lead. <laughs> Went up and I checked it out. I'm like, all right, you know what? Let's do it again. I was the first one over after that. And they, they broke me of that fear. Right. I learned to trust my equipment. I love rappelling. That's crazy. I was in Costa Rica two years ago, 200-foot cliff. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you're the last one going. I said, I want to make sure you get all them. I don't want them screwed up. And they had the rack system. I'm like, give me that. And like, oh, senor, you know how to do this. Yeah, get out of my way. Let's go. You know. And, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's part of, of the process, and it's part of being in the truck. Um, like I said, one of the great experiences in the firehouse is, the, as you know, the diversity of the guys. Right. Again, that's my father with his uh, disdain for firemen. He wants to side the house in Staten Island. Come home, he's pissed off. I know he's pissed off when he's making a spam sandwich and he's got a bloody Mary. <laughs> oh, man. He was just old school like that. And um, I'm like, what's going on? He says, effing firemen. The only ones that do siding and you're freaking thieves. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, they want $10,000 to side this house. I'm like, that sounds about right. He says, ah, I'm not spending that kind of money. So give me a couple of days. Let me work on it. And uh, well, next day I'm working. And actually, buddy just passed away last month, buddy Emma Holtz. Uh, Emma Holtz Construction in Staten Island. And, you know, buddy was the guy who sat in front of the TV and yelled at the Je at Jeopardy. He barked <laughs> out the answers. Very intelligent man. Um, like, buddy, you know, how do you do siding? Got me siding out of the car. Show me this. Show me that. He says, come on by tomorrow. I'll show you how to do it in the morning. They gave me the one-hour lesson. You're out there using a brake and all that? Uh, no, it's just vinyl siding. Oh, just, just vinyl. how to cut it, how to oh, do the J awesome. channel, yeah, do yeah. this, nail it, leave a little slit space. You see, yeah, go to Bradco, use our account, you know, get whatever you want. A month later, I decided my father's house for 2200 bucks. That's awesome. You know, can, he's like, a one-hour lesson in the firehouse. Yeah, any questions I have, you know. And he helped me get a discount and all that. And used to amaze my father because in the police, they can't be as personal as we are. You know, we're, we're a family. You know, and they can't do that with that job, which is truly unfortunate because there are some really nice people out there no matter what you do. But the um, the, the firehouse experience, and it seemed like the truckies were just more uh, more fun. What was so, incredible about that is, you know, you just said it. You, you go to firehouse and you have a plumber. You have a, someone that does siding, an HVAC guy, you know, someone could build a shed. There's always someone at the firehouse that oh, yeah. could do something, you know. No, yeah. I was the king for a while. I was the only body man until the guy who taught me body work, Joe LaPointe, transfers <laughs> in. I'm like, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. I'm like, why? <laughs> you guys are terrible. Yeah. You can't drive. There's more than enough work for everybody. And uh, you know, two Staten Island body guys working you know, in the firehouse together. That's Great. so cool, we're, yeah. We're still tight today. Actually, Joey, because uh, he runs a ceremonial unit, I had to fix the FDNY ceremonial van two years ago. He's like, uh the, the mentor comes to the student. Oh, that's full like, cool. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a funny turnaround that they had to pay me to, to, to do the work. Yeah, so um, like I said, you're getting back to your question of um, the truck. The truck, you don't know what position you're going to have. It could be chauffeur today, OV tomorrow. 
Um, I didn't like my chauffeur details. That's the only part about the truck I didn't like. I don't want to go drive on else's truck, except for 148. I loved going up to Borough Park. But they had a rear mount. <laughs> I was okay with that. <laughs> but um, um, it's like um, the opportunity I had to make the rescue. It um, Cold, rainy night, covering uh, Lieutenant. He was a good friend of mine, Tommy Fitzpatrick, and... Um, it was just one of those nights, you know, you, you just knew it was just cold and rainy. We'd had a problem with a couple buildings at a little bit of an arsonist in one area. And um, sure enough, like 11 o'clock at night, somebody was reporting a fire, fire through the roof. Okay. So normally we would go 3rd Avenue. I said, no, I said, I got a feeling I... Dove down to Second Avenue real quick, driving like a madman. And Fitzy's like, "You better know what you're doing." I said, "I got this, boss." And we actually even beat the engine there, turned the corner, and um, ladies hanging a baby out the fourth floor window. And they're throwing their bags of clothes down. It's just a, it's just that heavy night with that just a black smoke. Looks like it's just pouring out the windows. And um, it just started to pour rain. So Fitzy looks at me, he's like, you got this? I'm like, yeah, it's just leading the kid, no big deal. And um, jump out, slam the jacks down. I mean, I, this is the way I was dressed. I didn't even put my gear on. You know, I didn't even have my radio on. That's how, like, we, we just just took off that night. And um, shoot the ladder up, and it's I can't even see the lady anymore. She pulled back in the window, and the aerial hit the uh, window frame. Climb up, next thing you know, there's two guys pushing to get out. No lady and the kid sort of, you know, push them back, half step in the window, grab the kid, grab the lady, grab the two guys. And as I'm walking them down the ladder, there's another shit coming off the roof. Look up and there's just a line of people up there. Oh my gosh. Like, the fire was in the uh, um, third floor in the rear and the stairs were burned out. So they went up the rear fire escape to the roof and left themselves nowhere to go. And it was an isolated building. So, you know, get them down, you know, gracias, senor, they're gone. As fast as they were there, they were gone. Because, <laughs> I mean, I shot the ladder up and I looked. I was like, holy crap. Put it up, go up as I'm climbing up to make another run. One guy dove off the roof. No kidding. You know what they, they say when you climb the aerial? Never take your eyes off the objective. Never saw him coming. Took me right through the rungs with him. You know, got to, thank God it was just a little Mexican guy. We got ourselves squared away. Two more guys, baby, go down, go back up. Woman, baby, got more people. I didn't know. His godfather, Danny Labretti, had, had told me the next day. Because, again, I got the phone call. Let me guess, that was you. Like, what, what was me? This is, uh, the chief pulled up and was screaming on the radio. He said, multiple aerial ladder rescues. He banged out a second with extra engine and truck right away. I'm like, yeah, I didn't even think about it. You know, just went up, did what I had to do. There was two more by that time, you know, 114 had had a car block them. So they were really heavily delayed. It wasn't their fault. And um, they got the last two. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a shame. There was some politics involved afterwards. I kind of shot my mouth off, but. I went up to my favorite lieutenant, Tommy, and he's like, 
they said, sorry, you know, it took me a little while. He's like, what the hell happened out there? I'm like, uh, a little bit more than we expected. He's like, what'd you have? I'm like, I'm counting on my fingers. I'm like, yeah, I took 17 out. <laughs> He's like, what? He's like, holy crap. Um, I'll give you a little side note with it. That makes it kind of funny, too, because um, I used to harass this guy. And we had this one lieutenant that he didn't care for very much, this guy Fitzgerald. This was Tom Fitzpatrick. Tom Fitzpatrick, like, if you watch St. Patty's Day Parade, he's the guy that marches next to the banner. That's Tommy. No kidding. Uh, Tommy's yeah. just knowing better. A great guy. Um, but there was a point where, like, I guess it was a set of tours before this night. He actually chased me across the Bell Parkway with a halligan because I kept on calling him <laughs> the Lieutenant Fitzgerald. He tried to kill me one night. Um, so like when he walks in that night, I'm like, oh no. He's like, yeah, it's gonna be a long night. But I made him, you know, I made him his dinner that he wanted. He was happy. But the the funny part is afterwards, go back. You know, we had a little debate with the chief what really happened. And um, he says, all right, everybody all squared away. Yeah, he says you in the office. He says now. He says you will learn your lesson for calling me names. I'm like, what are you gonna do? We're we're back in service. He's like. What's this? You know, this is 1990. You didn't have cell phones or PDAs. You had a little black... He had the little black book. Yeah, 1010 wins. I got a story for you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. 3rd Avenue, 67th Street. He's here now. Click. I'm like, all right, that's not bad. He's like, you're right. <laughs> uh, UPI. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, blah, blah. He says, go get your shit together. You have a long day coming. Don't ever call me that name again. What an ultimate payback. <laughs> well, it wasn't 20 minutes later. There's 1010 wins knocking on the door. So, of course, you know how the, how the brothers are when now I'm out there doing a, I'm already doing a radio interview. Box comes in, rekindle. The place is going again. You know, there they go, blah, blah, blah. Two and a half hours later, as we pull up, there had to be 40 vans sitting outside the firehouse. Oh, man. I was sitting there, and just like, and he looks at me going, yes. <laughs> I did TV interviews till 4.30 in the afternoon. I, I had enough. I actually snuck out the back door. I, I left him there. I didn't know when he went home, he called CNN and a couple other places, gave my home address. So there's videotape of him sitting in the living room on his mother's lap, and I'm doing interviews at home. Like, but it, it, you know, it's it was such an experience. You know, and certain part of me, I hate that it happened because it changed the way people look at you. It changes your dynamic. It was very frustrating the whole process. Um, but there's also. Um, the value that he got out of it. You know, pictures of me with my dad. Um, Metal it's, Day. It's incredible. Yeah. And that's what will segue back to my dad. At the Metal Day party. You know, you go up there and <laughs> he hated Koch and Dinkins, you know, as a cop. And right. He's watching his least favorite people, you know, hanging metal around his son's neck. But he's sitting there watching. Going. He didn't say a word. You know, just taking it all in and Okay, so we go to Manhattan Metal Day party, and the bagpipes come in, and you know it's just 
such such a powerful experience. You know, at that point, I still loved Amazing Grace and, and the pipes. And uh, then we go to Brooklyn to my party. There's a couple other people. And, um, and he's just sitting there, not saying a word. So things calming down, but I go and sit with him. I say, what's the matter, Dad? What are you doing? Come on. He says, no, I don't belong here. What do you mean you don't belong here? You're my dad. You know, yes, you do. He says, let me get this straight. There's 13,000 you assholes. I'm like, yeah. And only 45 guys get a medal. I'm like, yeah. And you're one of 45. That's how powerful it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it that way. Right. He did. I'm like, well, yeah. He said, thank God you didn't become a cop. He says, because you wouldn't have been here. You would have been a statistic. He said, I'm going home. And I, I was upset. You know, I was like, yeah. But, you know, I, I look back on it and... It probably so was a man. very hard experience for him, but yeah. it was, you know, a, a lot of indication too that you know you gotta let your kids make their choices. You know, let them let them run with it. Right. You know, and I, we had talks about it afterwards. And like I said to him, I said, you know what, Dad? I said it was all part of, you know, I know you sent me to Harlem. Nope, nope, wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, till till the day he died, he he never ever admitted it. Um. But yeah, you know, it was a very powerful experience, you know, to be one of the few people that, you know, you, you get to have a medal. And it, and I, I explained that to the volunteers too, because the guys out here are like, oh my God, Chief, I want to be like you. You're so good. You're better than anybody. I'm like, no, I'm not. Just have more experience. I was so lucky to be that kid in 1982 to go to Harlem, you know, to go to Brooklyn, you know, to be a fireman at those times. You know, to, to be able to, to, to do things I do today, to be able to build cars at my leisure, you know, to, to still be alive. You know, there, there, there's so much to it. Like I said, my, my father, not long after that, uh, was diagnosed with an early onset Alzheimer's. And I watched the man that you couldn't even cheat playing go fish. He would count cards. And to watch his greatest gift, which was his mind, right. be taken away. You know, and um, tough. It was tough, but he, you know, and, and and it's funny too. Like you talk about you know life and all the other stuff. Um, when I got well, I'll, I'll say it later. When I got hurt, he hadn't talked to me in nineteen months, and when he saw that, I had a little bit of a beard, and I walked in the nursing home with Raymond and his sister, and it was he appeared totally normal. Looked at me, he's like, really? You're going to get another medal? Apparently, you must have got hurt. You know, he just... <laughs> so he's still with it at that moment, right? It's crazy. That one mo that was yeah. his last moment. It's amazing. Last time he ever spoke or anything. But yeah, but I mean, I'll get to that later on. But, um, you know, it, it's just... And it all, to me, that that moment comes back to the medal. It stuck with him, even in his in the end, you know. And Bro, he was, he was proud. Yeah, he, he, was. he was so proud of you, man. Oh, and like, that's you know, why, like I said, yeah. he used to go to the fires, and I didn't know it. He yeah. just sit to go, and this kid's insane. You know, but there was a lot of respect, you know, as, as much as people think there isn't, there is, you know. And, Absolutely. You know, just because yeah. you, your mother or father doesn't say it doesn't mean that they don't, you know, they don't live it, you know. And like I said, I harassed him horribly in, in fires. Because then again, every chance he had, he tried to light me on fire or do something <laughs> stupid, too. Which, but that's you know that, that's the best part of it. But um, what was it like at the brother, you know, the brothers at one hundred nine when you were getting this medal? I mean, it, you're representing our house. I mean, it it must have been a powerful thing, right? It was a little contentious back then, only because 
109 was the redheaded stepchild for many, many years. And now all of a sudden, a um, controversial. It wasn't rescue. one of the popular houses. Like, it wasn't one of the. No. Like, on Metal Day, there's certain houses that would always get the award. And, you know, the rescue guys get it. And the busy truck companies would always get it. And there's certain. So, I think what you're talking about is like that. You were that outlier that, like, you stepped on their toes. When it came down to it after the fire, there was a negotiation in front of the building. All right, no, nobody's going to believe that 109 took 17 and this company only took two. So we did 15 and you did six. And I looked at the deputy chief, the battalion chief, and the lieutenant who was sitting in the front seat of my truck, and I told them all to go F themselves. They were the Irish mob at the time. You know, screw you. All right, so fine. You did 15, we did six. I'm like, no, F you. What are you looking for? I said, I'm not looking for anything. I've been denied 13 unit citations in my career. And almost every time it's because I was working in that house. Or because that house didn't get it, 109 didn't get it. So we were the redheaded stepchildren. We got nothing. And 109 was a very fine company. Great guys. I mean, don't get me wrong, all the companies out there were. You know, we all had our moments, but we were good. You know, we're such great guys. You know, and. Um, just a big win then for 109. It, it was. And a lot, yeah. Some guys didn't appreciate it. Some guys were jealous. And, but that's with any medal. Mm-hmm. Medals shouldn't have points, and they do. And that I think that was one of, it's one of the biggest hard points with it. You know, over the next five or six years, two or three more guys got medals. And you know, 109 got the, the credit it, it really deserved. Good. I mean, it, there's some yeah, guys. Awesome. I just can't wait to see them. You know, it's just they're such good guys. Um, but, I mean, that's the whole job, too. I only spent less than a year up in Harlem. But a guy I know, uh, Jan Pistek, he's down in Florida. He's like, oh, Larry Flame from 28 Truck is down here. He's asking for you all the time. You know, what an honor. You know, this is a guy yeah. I, I kind of so cool. let him down that I transferred without knowing what to do. But they also saw that I didn't sit on my, my butt and become nobody. I, I did my job. It's just cool that they, they followed your, your career and you didn't know it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's cool. Well, and it's funny, like... When I was a probie in, in, in Harlem, we had uh, Bobby Sweeney. Bobby's a young, good-looking guy from, you know, um, upstate New York and very quiet. They used to call him Sweeney Bob. Just the, just, <laughs> I was Ray Bob. He was Sweeney Bob. He's like, thank God you're here. I was the first probie that they got in years, so now you took some of the heat off. He wanted to become, you know, he's one of the chief of departments a few years ago. He's, he's somewhere in uh, upstate New York. He's a big chief, you know, brilliant guy, you know, great guy. And, and, you know, again, that's part of the charm of the job. Some of the guys that you meet are just, you know, the Manhattan Borough Commander is the guy that was at, over our house all the time, you know. We, I, won't even, I, I can't do it to him. I won't say it. But you know, the, the nicknames that we had. Like I said, we, my groups were the love groups. I mean, the hate groups. The love groups did not work in the hate groups. Because <laughs> the minute you walked in the door to the minute you left the door, you know, you, you got picked on. Or, God forbid, you said you didn't like... Like we had one guy didn't like green vegetables. Do you know how ugly green meatloaf and green mashed potatoes with green tea is? You know, you will eat your green vegetables. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, the, the metal was a tough thing. Um, it, it should have been easier, but because of the politics and I told the, the deputy where to go and next day I got called up to uh, the borough command and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to get charges for this one and you know, the deputy reamed me out. He's like, you don't ever talk to me that way. I'm like, I'm sorry, boss. You know, but we tell the truth. I don't care who you're going to placate. 
And they actually put me in for a class two. I got a class three. And um, by the time the paperwork cleared, I was knocked down to an A, just so I couldn't be in the honor legion. So, you know, it's, it was a bone of contention. But they didn't have enough. Uh, well, to get a one, you have to die, basically. Uh, they didn't have enough twos or threes for medal day, so I had the highest amount of points for an A. So Al Petroselli, you know, God rest his soul, he died last year. Um, he called me up. He's like, so you remember I told you how you got screwed on the Board of Merit? Yeah, he said, well, guess what? They're, they're screwed. They're five short, and you're number one on the list. You're getting a medal. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, I, I got an A. I was glad. You know, I wish right. we got the unit citation out of it, too. He's like, no, you're getting a hanging medal. You get your class A's on, you got to go for a picture. Ah, that's from- You know, so I, I drove his mom nuts, you know, a little bit with it, you know, getting screwed. And I drove everybody nuts. I probably drove them nuts in 109, too. Um, I guess that's kind of why I'm known as Sunshine. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's great experience. Uh, I was very lucky. I was actually, actually every time something happened that made the papers or, you know, it was metal or noteworthy, it uh, wasn't my tour. I needed to be off for his mother to go to school. So um, Billy O'Connor used to do some pool liners, so he needed the day off, so we swapped tours. Poor Billy's over here in Lakewood waiting for a pool liner to be made. And he stops in the, the bar with his two guys and there's a bunch of volunteers there. They're like, oh, yeah, we saw you guys on TV. He's like, no, you didn't. He's like, yeah, yeah, guy made a big rescue. No, he didn't. He looks up and he sees me. He's like, that son of a bitch was working for me last night. It would have been him. You know, it's just how it works. You know, it, it's luck, timing, karma. Oh, yeah, it's all, yeah. It's all yeah. timing. But yeah. all, that, all that luck, timing, and karma kind of put you on the map, too. Like, all the noise you were making... Now you're starting. Now your name was starting to get recognized. Now your name was out there, and there was bigger people starting to take notice of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the next thing you know, it it just seems like look, two weeks later up on the BQE, cutting a guy out of a, a city bus, leg is all mangled, and next you know, hey Ray, turn around. There's a guy from the post taking a picture. I'm like, oh my god, you know, some we're doing something. A few weeks later, hey Ray, you know, it was like, oh Hollywood, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it, it did. You know, people start knowing who you are and. Um, the captain of Rescue 5, Charlie Driscoll, had reached out to me a couple times. Charlie, 40 years before, carpooled in the police academy with my father. But he knew I did the cars, and it used to be to get in the rescue. I mean, I, I hope it still is. You had to have a skill. You know, you can cut, you can weld, electrician. Everybody had their thing. And, um, you know, I, my rescue, uh, extrication and cars and tools, you know, so... He hounded me for seven years. And um, not long after I got the medal, uh, found out that I was injured prior. It broke my nose. Didn't realize that actually fractured my skull and had uh, detached the retina in my eye partially. Wow. I walked around for five years. We're not the brightest bunch here in this house, but, you know. <laughs> um, next thing you know, I'm having eye surgery, and uh, he'll tell you, I was miserable. He was real young, and he's... He's trying to take care of me and keep me calm and happy, and um, my career was thought my career was over. Yeah, you know, the doctors like, yeah, you might not be able to see right ever again. You know, and I actually had to fight the fire department for four months because they're like, well, it's not line of duty. Go get it fixed. I'm like, no, if this doesn't work out. You're not gonna let me back. So I wound up fighting, and um, I got lucky. The one doctor sent me to another doctor who turns out to be like the number one clinical pathologist in the world, and wow. When the fire department found out, like, 
okay, let's take another look at that. And then they looked at the damage to my my skull and everything else. Like, okay, line of duty. And I I actually let it was um, a hip doctor in Staten Island. I let let him do the surgery. Doctor Carroll did a great job. You know, I mean, they look at my eye and they see the damage. Like, well, thank God you don't drive big equipment or fire trucks. I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> You know, like you should have no peripheral. I'm like, I do. I mean, they can break it up on a test, but I can compensate. Wow. You know, and I, I do it. So with that, um, you know, the, the power of the hook again appeared. Um, Charlie had called me. He's like, dude, I, oh, I swam out of um, a wake. He's like, I need you. I really need you. I need new blood and rescue and... So I'm kind of on medical leave right now. So I get a call a week later from uh, Nat DePrisco. And uh, Nat's like, you know, can you get yourself full duty in next by next weekend? We, we got to bring four guys in. Like, I can try. I saw I called the medical office. So I called the next morning, let me in and go see the doctor. And he's, you know, the guy's on the phone doing his business and he's looking in the folder. He's looking... Hangs up the phone. I'd never seen this guy before. He's like, oh, so you got the buckle around your eye. I'm like, oh, you're a real doctor. <laughs> he started laughing. He's like, all right, what's your point? And he said, I want full duty. He says, no, you're retiring. I said, no. I'll go to Staten Island. I'll get out of Brooklyn. I'll go to Staten Island to a slower place. Now, statistically, calls-wise, yes, Rescue did less calls. A lot more fire, a lot more other stuff. So Dr. Maloney looked at me. He's like, tell you what. He said, that attitude you got, you're the first guy I've ever heard deny me putting them out. He said, get a letter from your doctor. So I called my doctor and I embellished a little bit, got the whole going slower. And he gave me a letter on Friday saying I can go full duty. Went to the medical office. They stamped it. On my way home, I stopped at the firehouse in Brooklyn, grabbed my, my stuff. <laughs> See ya. They're like, you've been on medical leave for eight months. Yeah, no, I'm out. And the uh, next day, I reported to rescue, which um, was a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Um, it's um, going to going in the fire department is like looking at a gem. You know, there's so many little facets to it. But when you go to an elite special place like a squad or a rescue, it's a got a lot more facets to it than you ever imagined. You know, and I, got, I, I went in like an hour and a half early. And I'm walking around this freaking huge toolbox, looking at everything. And I mean, it's just more stuff than you can absorb. You know, and you, what's in a basket? What's in a Pelican box? You know, Scooby gear and this thing. You know, six o'clock roll call. You know, there's a couple smart asses there. And, you know, one guy I've, I became very close to, but he busted my chops in the beginning. Brian, he's like, you should be out there looking at that truck. I said, I just spent the last hour and a half in that truck. I'm having a cup of coffee and, you know, go back out. Now I'm, I've got 12 years on the job. No, I'm the probe. And I didn't have the right attitude. And I, fine, whatever. You know, a little while later, all right, let's drill. All right, what do you want to drill on? Now this guy, I just he'd ask me, what do you do? I said, well, I have a body shop. You know, I do collision work. He tells me, go get the wizard tool, air chisel, the torch, and some other stupid thing I have in the shop. Oh, an air ratchet. Like, really, dude? 
They said, why don't you challenge me a little bit? I said, I have those tools myself. You don't belong here. Went right up to the, the captain. He doesn't belong here. Next thing you know, I get called in the office. You can't have that attitude. I'm like, why am I being tested? You know, I said, because they don't know you. <laughs> nope, it's part of the process. Yeah. And I was failing miserably. Yeah. Um, so, get all the, all right, fine. I'm, I apologize. Come on, let's go. And, you know, he was a bit of a smart ass too. He turned down the torches. I have my own torches. So, put this together, put that together. This is what you do. This is what you do. Okay. Go to the torch. I'm like, he said, all right, go light it. I said, when I fix the gauges, set them all back up, cut a piece of metal, whatever. So we had a, a couple days like that. Nice part would, um, in special ops is um, you have R&D. And um, Milwaukee, all these companies, send these awesome tools over. You know, cordless rebar cutters. They send us the Arc Air. Did you ever see one of them? No. It's a magnesium cutter. It takes a magnesium rod and blows air through it. It cuts at 10,000 degrees. Oh, wow. So it's like stick welding. So the next set of tours were out there in, uh, I think it was Nat. And uh, we go down by the water, we're drilling, and a bunch of guys are cutting. And I'm just like, really? Now we're going to play with a stick welder. I got one. So uh, Brian again, he's like, all right, tough guy. You want to try it? I'm like, no. You know, which wasn't the right answer. Right. <laughs> and Nat comes over. And he's like, you really need to get with the program and go home. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. Give it to me. I put it in there. And the one guy, Larry Nelson, I grew up with, I remember he just shook his head because he knew I was going to do something stupid. Another one? I wrote my name in script. <laughs> Cut it into the beam. Like, okay. So that kind of broke the ice after a while. Like, okay, maybe he does know a little something. Right. But yeah, it was, it, you know, it's kind of an evolution and in, in um, you know, I, I had to relearn to sit on the front bumper again. You know, it, it really came back to that, in, but in a different way. You know, I, I, I mean, because 12 years on FDNY, you're, you're feeling pretty comfortable at this point. Now yeah, you're starting yeah. all over. Yeah, I'm, I've got a medal, I got this or that, right. and I thought I was, I was the shit, but yeah. no, I'm, I'm, you're the new guy. Um, you know, and it's funny too, like, Rescue 2 did not care for Rescue 5. You know, we just stole a bunch of their boxes in Brooklyn, and it was, you know, a little while later, I get detailed to Rescue 2. They talk about intimidating. <laughs> you get Richie Evans and everybody, you know, give me the look. I'm like, it's not my fault, you know. Yeah. Um, working with Pete Lund and guys like that, it's like, oh, my God, you know, Phil Ruvalo. And, uh, wow. su such a Fucking tremendous experience. Legends, man. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and... and People don't realize, like, these special units, you know, the, in New York City, you have to drill for your hour every tour. So there were some tours where we had an hour where maybe we got to eat in between calls and drilling. You know, I can't think of his name right now. This one lieutenant from Rescue 2 would come in and, oh, you're working tonight. Want to drill? Bring it on, brother. And he would do these elaborate drills. You can repel from the second floor pole hole down, make like a man impaled, cut him off the torch. He physically had me cut the piece of rebar that he was holding under his arm. He said, you burn me, I'll kill you. Yeah, so and a lot of people don't realize that <clears throat> there's a lot of, lot of training, a lot of, um, um, a lot of drilling. I mean, there was, like I said, some tours, 8, 10, 12 hours. You know, I, I loved it, you know, do, doing all the, the high angle stuff and 
with the one they were repelling off the side of the building and tie off and do an upside down rescue <laughs> inverted. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, at that time we had John Ferry. John Ferry was a big Rocco instructor, roller glass, all that stuff. He worked for Dupont. You know, he was oh, all wow. over the country. John was very, um, very good at what he did. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the rescue is, like I said, it's an experience. Like a lot of people don't realize they see rescue. Oh my God, they had to rescue people. No, rescue's number one priority is rescue firemen. The second priority is make sure the fire's going right. Then the third priority is everything else. So we come in there every time and make sure the guys are okay. That's the first priority. And it's funny, one of the early in my career uh, in, in rescue, we called to Manhattan, Maydays, blah, blah, blah. And Brian was driving the rig. I remember we came out of the tunnel. So we came out so hot, the rig went airborne. Wow. Wound up doing some suspension damage. And it wasn't his fault. We were going. Because we got to hit up that there's um, to be a, a down fireman. Get there. Guy I grew up with, he's like, Ray, my lieutenant's down there. So uh, the captain looked at me. He's like, all right, you follow them down the stairs. We're going to go this way. Just my luck. I go down the stairs, and here they come up with the, the lieutenant. Get him on a gurney. And they said, I promise everybody I'm going to take it easy. And there I am. On a gurney, getting pushed down the street, and we're doing CPR on a dead lieutenant. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't pronounce him until next day, which um, my wife was in nursing school at the time, and her uh, friend Nancy calls me up. You were there. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know. I saw you. Okay, what's the story? He's gone. But they said, they said listen, we're doing compressions, and... Because they, they basically said he drowned in the basement. It took, took such a hit of CO, he was dead before he even hit the water. Wow. Wasn't a bubble coming out of his mouth. You know, and it, it, it's, it's sad. And sitting there going, Jesus Christ, here we go already. You know, it's, it's like starting out in Harlem. I got, you know, missed, missed the drugs, the gun, and the money. Now here I am. First thing I'm doing is dealing with a dead lieutenant. I promise everybody I'm going to be take it easy, taking it easy. And there I am, Channel 7 News, Channel 4 News, you know, doing this, doing that. It's like... But, um, you know, res rescue is definitely a great experience, all the scuba training, um, which, again, you guys were in Pennsylvania, like, visiting your relatives. So I'm out, went to um, the, um, I guess the Manor House, they called it, so I'm Manor Road in Staten Island, have a couple beers. And they were watching a hockey game, because it the bartender, big jock, I can't think of his name now. Um, and as they flip channels to a different game, I see fire on the water. I'm like, well, whoa, what was that? Go back and the uh, debris is burning on the water, the plane is gone. We responded down to uh, Rescue 5. But by that time, you know, all the rigs had already gone, so we we're going to be the second platoon going out, and uh, now it's a recovery. All right, so. Go back home, my head no sooner hits the pillow, John Ferry calls me. Are you serious you wanted to go? Yeah. I said, everybody's away for the next few days. I got no responsibilities. Get a go bag, let's go. Go to Rescue 5, respond out to Long Island, and we start staging. And sure just enough, to clarify, he's talking about the, the 
TWA Flight 800 crash. Correct. It was in the uh, East Mauritius. And um, talk about something very surreal, you know, watching them bringing in teddy bears and jackets and pillows and, you know, ladies' bags and stuff. And so we, uh, we spent a couple days before they could really get us out there. And the equipment really wasn't what we needed. Had a lot of problems. And I guess fifth or sixth day, whatever it was, we actually were tasked to dive on. Um, they said there was a triple chair and there was a very large man that was still in his seat. So it just seemed like just nothing went right that day. You know, one one group went to go down and one guy couldn't clear. The next group went to go down and uh, Harvey, Harvey had blown his eardrums before in the uh, East River. He had a problem, so like, screw it. And me and Bobby hiring was our turn and Bobby's hood or something rode up. We don't really know exactly what happened. He had a problem, got him straightened out, went down and I was the free diver. I was supposed to go to the uh, the victim. So Bobby was on the umbilical. So he was full AGA, comms. <clears throat> All our diving, you know, what do we have? Silver Lake, the East River, it's 30, 40 feet. So we really don't get to experience a squeeze in a dry suit. Wait till you feel that. Um, I didn't know what it was until about 80 feet. At 80 feet. Next you know, it's like somebody's just grabbing your arm and squeezing. But we get to the bottom, and Bobby just wasn't right. You're supposed to turn and face each other, show your gauges, okay. And he waved me off. Yeah, shit, this is not going good. And you're, you're how many feet down now? This 122. Point? Wow. We were standing on the bottom. And it was nice yellow sand. It looked like somebody took a lady's purse and just dumped it. Just coins and no things, lipstick. I mean, wow. it just was very surreal. Uh, I think the water, I think the visibility was better than a lot of people described it. I couldn't see the chair, but I'm, I said, you know what, this is, let me just see if I can see anything before anything happens. And next thing I know, I hear Bobby screaming and I hear it rush air. When he turned, his eyeballs were literally touching the lens. Holy cow. If the primary and secondary shut down. So 122 feet, I mean, you've, how many fathoms and you know he's in trouble so he hit his inflator and he's going to shoot to the top and all i know is if i let him go he's dead i mean it's, it would have exploded would have just killed him instantly right so i was able to as he was shooting up i looped through his his uh, belt on his bc because at 120 feet your stuff is a little slack with that he flailed and he knocked my aga thank god for this thing it got to here Oh man! It didn't knock it off me completely, so I just, I held him, did my clearing, got myself straightened out. But it, it was only twenty seconds probably, but that was enough time for him to start losing consciousness. So I had to pull him down, drain the air out of him, and basically I had to kill him to save him. You know, once he stopped fighting, I was able to inflate enough to get up. But now, I don't have comms. They can't hear me. All they heard was him screaming. A couple days before we had um, this happened, like John Norman, he was on a 15, 16 foot Boston whale going to the Navy ship to Tucson Logistics. He said a great white came up in between the, the two boats. Jesus Christ. That was bigger than the Boston whaler they were on. He, screw you. You guys are out of your effing minds. I'm out. 
and he actually walked off. He was done. We had seen a um, like a fifty foot nurse whale or something like that. So when the screaming started, they're like, "Oh my God, something got Ray." So they didn't know what was going on. Um, for each diver in the water, there's a rescue diver. Unfortunately, one diver hit the water, and um, that was Richie Euler from uh, Rescue Four. And I'm truly grateful to Richie for, for coming in to get me on the comms was uh, Cliffy Stabner. And, you know, poor Cliff is trying to, he's trying to talk to Bobby. Bobby's unconscious. Uh, I got within 50 feet of the surface. I couldn't go any more because it's just too much weight. Yeah. I have Bobby. He's floating face down dead man. And I you know, saved myself or let him go. And, but I could actually see Richie came down and came to me and he's like, you can see the bubbles, like, what the fuck? I'm like, yeah. I'm okay, it's him. Because he, he was so focused on me because they thought it was me. Right. Then we got Bobby, but we shot him up so fast and it was like, you know, pulled it off his face and he actually started to breathe on his own. It was funny, when we took the um, his gear down, it looked like a zebra. No kidding. With the, the bruising on his yeah. body. So we don't really know exactly what happened to him, but bringing him up like that, um, he had... Um, um, lesions on his brain basically had air embolisms right I was pretty upset so they triaged him they triaged me so a couple minutes later I, I walked to the front of the boat I sit with Harvey uh, I forget the guy's name he's an FBI agent another guy and they're trying to calm me down I'm, I'm distraught you know, did I kill this guy did I do right did I do wrong I mean you know, you know, the hell did I do to deserve this we're just trying to do something here and um they finally calmed me down enough. The boat's flying in. We're going to get him to the hyperbaric chamber. They're like, he's stable. He did good. I lean over, get my gear off, and that's when they hit the same sandbar they hit the day before oh, at no. full speed. Oh, Jesus Christ. Harvey said my feet hit the back of my head. I hit the railing so hard. I laid on the floor, and I tell you what, if you ever see somebody in a wheelchair, the empathy I have for them. I was paralyzed for five minutes. It just felt like a, just searing heat in my legs. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, now I'm fucking paralyzed. You know, it's, um, but a few minutes later, it started coming back. I walked off the boat 20 minutes later on my own power. Um, they brought a Zodiac in to get us out of there, rushed Bobby to hyperbaric unit. And, um, you know, Bobby survived, but had some, some pretty uh, substantial injuries. Turns out I blew... Uh, seven discs out of my back. Holy shit. One disc was actually into my spinal cord, so they wound up doing surgery. And there was no getting out of that one. No. No. It's, I did, um, you know, did my job. You know, I did, that was a shame of it all. You know, it's a plane crash that so we couldn't help anybody. You know, I have no, no regrets. Um, yeah, so physical therapy, surgery, more physical therapy. Drove them all insane at home. And I started doing some light duty. Drove everybody insane doing light duty. I just was miserable. Yeah, didn't you get offered a like a chief's aide position? Yeah. Um, when it came down to it, well, they started with the messenger van. That didn't work out well. And some snot nose. Yeah. Chief's aide with three years on the job gave me a hard time. Uh, when I when I dumped the mailbag on his desk and told him where to go, that started the ball rolling. Where okay, this isn't a job for you. Then um, I had a couple incidents where go to a couple firehouses when, you know, you have a certain amount of guys that just aren't worth the powder to blow them the hell. And 
you're a light duty guy and that's a 120 pound roll of plastic. I just had back surgery. I can't pick that up. Well, we're not doing your job. Well, screw you. <laughs> Left it there. Go back. Now Chief Guido, the borough commander, is like, why'd you pick the stuff up? Well, they told me, pick it up or go home. So I went home. I'm not picking it up. I can't, Chief. Yeah. Nah, no problem. So after a couple of incidents with that, because well, I'll give it a one incident, um, I went back after that and they put it in the back of the truck and bring it to another firehouse and they were being smart asses going, oh, you're going to give us a hard time? I said, you're going to help me? Nope. Okie dokie. Tied the back doors open, opened their apparatus doors, backed the van up, hit the brakes, did saws and all the plastic, shot underneath the front of their truck. See you, fellas. So by the time we got back, Chief Guido's like, yeah, I think we need to have you do something different here. So yeah. you had me doing officer assignments for a while, which was not challenging. Yeah. yeah. The older guys used to take six guys eight hours a day to do it. I could do it in two hours. Pete Morgan, 69 engine. That was a probie. We had one guy in the firehouse that I didn't care for very much. And I just didn't understand him. He was a crazy Marine, which I, I do understand him now. But um, he was um, very challenging. So we had kind of words the one night. So Pete's like, listen. I'm going to teach you what you need to know about the fire department and about life. I'm like, all right, what's that? He says, the world is ruled by 10. Take 100 guys. 10 are going to be assholes. No matter what you do, no matter how you cut it, there will always be those 10 assholes. He says, then the rule of 10 really kicks in because out of those 10, one will be a superstar and he will make it bad for everybody else in the job. He said, don't ever forget that. Don't ever be one of them. He said, be the 90. Don't ever be the 10. Don't be the one. And that's pretty much what it was. And it was, that was the one of the few things I didn't like about being on Staten Island is it's a camp for some people. Right. You know, and they right. just they have their little things going. They don't care. And kind of what my father understood when I said, I'm just going to go to Staten Island and just do nothing for 20 years. It's funny how it all comes full circle. It's, it's just incredible. Without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. You know, the yeah. man was very, very smart man. Um, I miss my dad a lot. But... Um, he, uh, so Pete, Pete explained this to me, and you know, it's, it was kind of a shame though, but you can't judge the job because of a couple guys, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and that was Chief Guido's things like, listen, you seem to be a magnet for stupidity, so we're gonna have you do this. But, uh, down the road, um, we get called down to the commissioner's office like September 2nd. And what it was is there was some politics involved again. Everything's politics. You know, do we retire? Are we really hurt? You know, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm fine. I have my surgery. And so there was a little debate. Um, Bobby Herring's father was a chief, and he did not want to face the fact that his son had to retire. You know, because very prideful family. And his son Tommy just became a chief, and his son-in-law is a captain. You know. They had a lot of family there. and So what are you going to do? And I'm in Bon Essen's office telling him, I'm going back to rescue. He's like, no, you're not. Like, they said, well, Chief Guido told me, you offered me a job driving him. Go after yourself. He looked at me, excuse me? I'm like, yeah, you heard me. They said, he's retiring in a few months. He says, well, you can drive me. I'm like, and what? <laughs> you're not commissioner next week. I'm out of job. I'm going to be in the mailroom? No. He said, we can drive the doctor. Dr. Kelly's not going anywhere. She'll take you. I'm like, no. I'll go to 109 or I'll go to Rescue 5. 
I, I loved where I was. I loved my houses. Yeah, I'll go back to either one. And uh, he's like, no. I told him to go F himself again. And I said, no. He said, well, then you better get a lawyer. He says, you're limited service. You're not going back. Moral of that story is you don't tell the commissioner where to go. <laughs> he's a lot smarter than, than the average fireman, and he's got a lot more connections. That was September 2nd. September 22nd, I get a phone call from the Manhattan trustee, this guy Danny Lynch, somebody I grew up with. And he starts off with, hey, stupid, how's it going? Really? Who's this? Oh, Danny Lynch. Hey, Danny, really? He says, oh, yeah, really. Did you tell Von Essen where to go? Like, yeah, I did. He says, um, did you use any of your leaves? I'm like, dude, I have last year's vacation, this year's vacation. I have 12 weeks vacation, all my accrued leave, terminal leave. I said, no. I said, but how to medical leave? I'm just, you know. I couldn't wait just to do light duty. That's how bored I was. Yeah, well, that's a hefty little fine you're paying. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're retired on 900 tomorrow morning. Like, no, I didn't get in front of the boards. Normally, it's a couple years to get out. He says, no. He says, you don't realize how much we look alike. You went in front of the boards, trust me. You and your buddy Harry are both retired on 900 tomorrow morning, and you've lost all your leave. Watch your mouth. Have a nice life. Wow. Just like that. Just like that. I come home with a box, and they're like, what's that? I said, my life. And 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm retired. That's it. No choice, no say, no nothing. But Von Essen did say something that probably rang very true. He said, guys like you die. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, you've been injured twice. You've had surgery twice. Third time you die. He said, I'm not going to let it happen. And it's true. Like, I mean, we reflect on it all. You know, we... We laugh about this now because I was I was young at the time. I was only eight or nine years old when this is all happening. You know, I, I remember just not understanding. You know, my dad was a New York City farmer, and then all of a sudden he was home every day, and I didn't know what was going on. But, you know, now as I got older, you know, we joke. We said, you know, Von Essen saved his life, and uh, and it, it turned sound, out to be extremely sound, true. Sounds like it. It was, a, it was a tough pill, though, too. I saved the fireman's life. You get the Gordon Bennett. You know, I mean, I'm... I'm on, I'm I'm on my way out, but I should have got some recognition. And you know, we had a couple of officers there. You know, yeah, we need to write them up. You know, Louis Ramundi come up. He's like, listen, what are we doing here? It was weird too, because I mean, like I said, I was a young kid, but as I got older, and as I you know tried to make my own path, all these things kept happening, and I didn't understand them. And it took a lot of long conversations between him and I, and really understanding that you know. I don't want to say you were blackballed, but you were blackballed. I was, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, and it's funny because this is, this is all happening in 1996, right? 97. And it shaped my life. It shaped my career because as, as I went through my career and as I, as I started to get job offers and, and make decisions on my own, you know, I, I had to, you have to answer for the sins of the father. And I don't, you know, I don't want to say it like that, but that's, that's ended up what happened. You know, I had a choice to go to certain places and certain jobs and I had to decide, you know, do I have, do I take a chance and do I go here and have to worry about a ghost behind me for the next 30 years or do I forge my own path? Think about it. You had Phil Ruvalo, Captain of Rescue 2. Apologize to me at a funeral. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't even on the job yet. I was still in the military. I was making my own way and we went to a funeral and here's this legendary Rescue 2 captain comes yeah. up to me and talks to him for a little bit and then pulls me to the side and explains to me, you know, I'm sorry. And I didn't understand. I had no idea. You know, now as I'm a little bit older and wiser, I, I get it. But it was very strange. It was a 
it was a very strange time. And, and he offered you the brass ring, though, too. Yeah. He says, you don't, you get on this job, you don't call your dad, you call me. You know, I said to him, I said, how does it feel to have the biggest hook in New York City right now? <laughs> yeah. You know, but, and, and I, I had more respect for his answers. Like, that's great, Dad, but I want to walk my own path. I don't want to walk in your shadow. Right. And I, you know, you look back, what did I do to my father? You know, I, I'm telling you, this, this whole episode is just, it's mind-boggling how all this stuff comes full circle. It, it It's unbelievable. It's, it's like one of the best-kept secrets, you know? Yeah. People don't understand the dynamic. They, Like I said, they looked at me. I was miserable. After every time, miserable. More miserable. I mean, everybody will tell you he's a miserable son of a bitch either way. <laughs> um, but I was just just out, out of control. You know, that's so I woke up the one morning. I'm like, all right, well, we we can get a divorce, and you can move to Brooklyn, or um, we can go look at a house in in New Jersey, or actually we'll go to Carolina, go to work for NASCAR. And you know that was it. She's like, that's it. I said, I can't, I can't listen to the fire trucks all night long, all day right. long. Fire trucks beeping, guys beeping and waving, people stopping by. You know, I mean, it's it 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 was tough. And uh, you know, again, thank God. We had moved in 99 because I would have made the hazmat truck on 9-11. I would have been with Harvey and Carl Beanie. You know, um, the kid that took my spot in Rescue 5, that was my shift, was lost. Wow. Um, there, there's so many things that you look at, and that's something I've, I've built a lot of things off over the years, that, you know, you have to look at the whole picture you don't know where life's going to take you um again no regrets you know bobby's still alive today he's up in saratoga somewhere doing whatever he's doing you know i, I got to retire and um like i said it was we moved here in november of 99 got a nice house built your buddy here sat in the living room <laughs> like a indian i'm not leaving i'm not moving blah 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 that was, let's say, uh, Thursday or Friday. Monday, came home from school. I'm right, going to hang out with my new friends. I love it here, you know. <laughs> it, um, it was the right choice getting off of Staten Island. I mean, don't get me wrong, my history is there. Everything we came from is there. There's a lot of people I miss. But um, came out here and the board started um, working on a house. Then I started working for uh, this guy, Ted Walters. We were actually building the uh, the Batmobiles. No kidding. So we were doing that for a while. And we started, uh, we had an ARCA car, so we wound up uh, doing a couple races in the ARCA series. And I was like, you know what? I feel, I told him one day, I said, you know what? I got one more left in me. I think I'm going to join the volunteers. And I'd been going by. I didn't understand how the hell it worked. How do you have these big, beautiful firehouses and there's never anybody there? <laughs> and um, so finally one day I come by and um, circle the building. There's no one coming on the other side. And this pickup comes pulling in. Can I help you? I see. I'm looking to join. Which qualifications? Like, I'm retired New York City fireman. Yeah, we don't have room for a guy like you. Excuse me? It's like, yeah, it costs too much money to teach you to be a real fireman. Fire's different here. <laughs> After a mouthful of expletives and what I actually thought of him, I left. Um, that was the winter of 2001. 
Stanley O'Brien was the uh, chief boss. Stanley, the reason I mentioned his name is what I did to him. Um, after 9-11, that very last week, I was very changing for everybody. They said, I'm not listed as a responder. I went there on my own. I got injured that night, so I'm actually listed as a casualty. Uh, I actually went to see my dad in the nursing home. It was end-stage uh, Alzheimer's. And um, I didn't realize how covered in dirt and blood I was. You know, a, man, a man walked a, a beat in the village in the 50s and 60s. He watched those towers going up. When I walked in, he's looking at the towers, looking at me, looking at the towers. He hasn't talked to anybody in like a year and a half. Last time he talked, which I probably should have mentioned it, um, you talk about how interesting life can be. It was right after I broke my back. I was going to physical therapy, I grew a bit of a beard. Me, Raymond, and his sister went to go see my dad. And I, you know, I got the back brace on and the beard. And he hadn't talked to me in 19 months. He thought I was his brother. So oh. the long-term, short-term, he wouldn't talk to me. Right. But my poor Uncle Larry, whose wife was dying of Alzheimer's too, used to find someone to watch my Aunt Joan. So he'd go to see his brother. My father would talk to my Uncle Larry thinking it was me for some reason. No kidding. But thought I was his brother and wouldn't talk to me. You know, my mother used to yell, I'm like, leave him alone. You know, because I knew what was going on. I used to see my uncle in the hallway. I didn't know my uncle very well growing up. We came very close after that. But um, just the reason I mention it is we turned the corner and he saw me. He saw them and you know, I, mean, I don't know if you remember it, but he looked at me. And again, we're going to go back to the metal. He looks at me, goes, you must have got hurt again. I said, yeah, I did. Was it worth it? I'm like, yeah. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, what'd you do? I said, I want to save the fireman's life. Was it worth it? I said, yes, that it was. He says, Jesus Christ, you're going to get another freaking medal, aren't you? I said, well, I don't know about that. I said, I should. I said, but, and you can see like his eyes welled up a little bit. He says, you will get your pension. I said, yeah, I'll be fine, Dad. We talked a little bit and he just got very emotional and he didn't realize he walked us back down the hallway to the elevator. And he pushed the elevated doors. He says, go home, take your children, go live your life, I'll be fine. Do not worry about me, do not look back at me. Everything will be okay, just go. And he shoved us in the elevator. I'm like, yeah, but we came here to see you. He says, I saw you. He says, now you go. It's the last time he ever spoke. You know, and um, again, it was tough, so, you know, now I realize I've lost hundreds of friends and I went to go see him and unfortunately probably the last thing that my father if he did realize it by looking at the horror on his face because they threw me out of there they're like you're a freaking ghost go you know and he died uh, December 2nd so now and the reason I reference that is it was um, it was right before Christmas just buried my dad a couple other things have gone on going to all these funerals <laughs> there used to be a pizzeria over here by the 7-Eleven and there's this white F-250 with a green stripe on it and it says chief on it and there's poor Stanley I reached right over and I grabbed him right by his collar and half yanked him out of there and reading him the riot act who the hell do you people think you are and poor Stanley's like no 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 I want you want so I, I wound up uh, joining the volunteers 
and uh, they gave me a hard time. You know, like, well, you know, 9-11, we need to do a background check. I'm like, do you want to call the commissioner and get a reference? Well, we need to make sure you're not an arsonist. I said, doesn't mean I'm not an arsonist. I just, I might be smarter than you guys. I said, you need volunteers, let's go. And um, they they gave me a hard time until uh, July. Then I finally joined. You know, next thing a year later, I'm running for commissioner and commissioner, lieutenant, captain, chief. You know, I did the whole the whole circuit. Um, there's a lot to be said about it. Um, definitely, probably the hardest thing I've learned to do was to be a volunteer. It's definitely hard. Very hard to appreciate that these are part-timers that are doing it on their own volition. Um, I was a generation of firefighters that had the girls shoved down our throat. I did not like working with girls in the firehouse. Um, I feel very differently now after being a volunteer because there are some little girls that work have more heart. You know, I mean, you can have all the brains and the balls that you want. You have to have a little bit of heart. Oh, 100%, you know? and, yeah. Um, I think in today's fire department, there's too many people that wear the hat and the T-shirt that don't have the heart or the ambition. Mm -hmm. They just want to be that guy or that girl, whatever. Um, anybody who's willing to do first aid, responding, be a cop, God bless you. So there was a lot to it. We learned a lot. Got, like I said, t had to take. I took him to Baltimore with a bunch of other guys, different trainings. We had some really kick-ass training. Um, before you before you get into that though, I, I really I want to bring you back to nine eleven. I, I know you skipped it, and I, I want you to dig into it a little bit. Like, right. go describe that day. Like, go back to that. Go back to that day. Go back to the morning. Walk us through that day. I was working in a body shop in Manchester, and um, walked in the door at a quarter to eight. The uh, shop manager Barney. Barney's ex marine. Talking to Barney, getting a couple jobs, and one guy, Henry, the older guy, you know, hey, Henry, what's up? And my cup of coffee. It was just normal, sunny September day. You know, it was a really nice day. Rat radio was playing. And I forget her name, the female DJ. She was signing off. It was just a couple minutes after 8. And she said, um, yeah, I'm going to sign off, but we're, I'm not going to leave. There's something going on. Something just happened in, in Manhattan at the World Trade Center. Something with a plane. So it's like, oh, there's a plane crash. And I said, no, it's a no-fly zone. There's no planes in there. So I made a phone call and I, um, couldn't get through on the phones. I'm like, you, okay, we're trying to find that on TV and they're showing it. And I wound up coming home, getting a go bag. A friend of mine came with me. And um, it was surreal. You know, we get on the parkway. My friend's like, what do I do? I said, speed. Just go. No one's going to bother you. And imagine going up the parkway and there's not a car in sight. You know, and because, um, you know, it took me a little while to get home. So it's like 9.30, quarter to 10. And um, might, might have been a little later. I don't know. Um, I think we were doing like 105 up the parkway. Nothing. Go to 287. And there's um, a sergeant there. He's waving everybody off. It's like, where are you guys going? I showed him my ID. And that's when it started to get weird. Snap two, salute, God bless you. 
I'm like, really, dude? He's like, better man than me. Good luck. Go. Get to the bridge, and there's a Port Authority sergeant. You know, he's chasing everybody out of there. And Where are you guys going? I showed my ID. I said, I got to get in. Snap to. He saluted. I'm like, what the hell is this? He said, God bless you. Go over the outer bridge. It's not a car in sight. Toll plaza, black. No lights, nothing. There's no one there. Go past ladder 84 in Huguenot. You can see from the uh, parkway. And there's a Kenilworth. I think it was Kenilworth or Carney. Fire truck on their apron. Jesus Christ, there's already New Jersey trucks here. No, because you really couldn't grab the weight of it. Could not a rescue five, and there's, there had to be 70 New Jersey trucks already lined up, which to me, I thought that was impressive. So impressive. You know, these guys just jumped to it, you know, and they, they didn't care. You know, maybe they didn't know who the hell knows. Um, it's funny, Nat DePrisco, Nat was about five, six, the, the barrel chested beer <laughs> belly. We used to call him the Godfather. And uh, I'm walking in, he's like, what took you so long? I'm like, ah, traffic. It's good. Get your gear. I'll hold that bus. Get to the ferry terminal. Get up there and see if you can get a signal. You know, let me know. He says, I think we lost a lot of guys. I'm like, all right. Get to the ferry terminal. There's 750 guys staged. They wouldn't let anybody go. And I'm walking around and run into uh, Jimmy Thompson, who's a captain. I knew him as a fireman in 114. And he's got a little parade of guys with him. And remember, he looked right at me. He's called Zipperhead. He had this funky scar from a bar fight on his head. Like, yo, Captain Zipperhead. He's like, you gonna come coming with me. I'm like, you got a plan? He's like, yeah, I'm taking that boat and we're going. I'm like, all right, let's go. The 12 firemen and a nurse got on a ferry boat, made him drive us, and uh, took us to the ferry terminal. And it's weird, we come out the other side, we start walking to the main road, now it'd be 5,000 people applauding. And you just see all the gray dust in the papers and that's when it was just like, holy shit, what the fuck? And they, you know, who's crying and who's bloody messes, you know, and just everything was weird. And walking down the west side and you know, this car's parked and then all of a sudden they're stacked, then they're crushed, then all of a sudden they're burned. One of the first trucks we see is 113. 113 was premier ladder in Brooklyn. And uh, that's where Sal Casano was the captain. And uh, it's burnt. Camp's burned out. What the fuck? Ambulances, cop cars, just everything's just destroyed. You know, we find Rescue 5 buried in the rubble and just, you know, trying to catch up with guys and figure it out. They're knocking the fires down. And, you know, it's funny, a little later on, there was a big greasy spot in, in the street in the dirt. It was like a little lower spot. I tried to protect it for the longest time, and it's what was left of a jumper. Later on, when they came up with the bulldozers, just, you know, they've, two iron workers physically picked me up. Sorry, little man, gotta go. And they just bulldozed it out of the way. I'm like, can't we just put it in a bucket, do something with it? And they're like, no. And it's somebody they've never found. You know, it's, I don't know if it would've made a difference. So right off the bat, it just was, you bombarded, you know, every, you had no emotions. You know, you're seeing guys like, okay, good. You know, I ran into Donnie. Donnie doesn't even remember seeing me that day. You know, like, oh, are you good? Yeah, 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 we're running around. and um, We're waiting for orders. They won't let anybody in the building. You know, watching them, building seven comes down and 
you know, oh, there's still guys in there. Well, then what are we going to do? Um, that night, we got tasked to go up and get the two Port Authority cops that they made the movie out of. Right. You know, the, right. the guy, Scott, that's Scotty Fox. They're, Hi, I'm Scott. I'm here to get you out. Right. That's who we were with when I got knocked down in the beam and I got a piece of rebar through my wrist. Um, which, <laughs> what the hell do you call that game when in the classroom you whisper something in one's ear? Telephone. Telephone. Yeah. I, you know, I walked down the pile like this. I had to give up the saw. I had, they continued on. I get myself down to 10 and 10. They get triaged. Put me in an ambulance. Go around the corner. They stop. You're going to go to St. Luke's. No, nah, St. Luke's can't take it. All right, hold on. A little while later. We're going to take you to Bellevue. Put me in another ambulance. Go around the corner. No, we can't get you to Bellevue. By the time I'm in the fourth ambulance, I'm like, just take me to Staten Island. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. Shoot me over. Put me on my own ferry in the ambulance. Now, the chief that was... Um, and he did his job. Captain Tanz, Chief Tanzash couldn't let anybody go. You know, we disobeyed his order. And um, I was never his favorite person. So now he's also in my name. It's coming over. And it came over as a massive <laughs> head injury. He's like, oh, my God, I let this guy go. He, ambulance door flies open. And I'm like, what? He says, head injury. Hand injury, jackass. I just need some stitches. <laughs> Gave me a hug. He, come on. He, he personally drove me to the hospital. You know, it's it was a roller coaster. I mean, it was just um, nothing you could do. We're looking at it. It's just pulverized. You know, and I went, like I said, I went to see my dad. Uh, I spent that day taking rigs back and forth to Bed-Stuy from New Jersey, which was really one of the coolest things. Remember, the, I forget what, what, what company it was. Nice young kid driving. You know, the officer jumped in the back. He's like, you know, you get in the front. And the kid pulls out and he stops. He's looking. I'm like, you can go. Okay. Goes to the light, the red light. I'm like, you can go. Okay. I said, no, you don't understand. You are now a New York City fireman. Put the effing lights on. Cut them off. Run into them. Do whatever you want. We need to go. The kid looked at me and says, like, this is like a dream come true, bro. I can do this. <laughs> I said, you don't have to stop at the... At the toll booths, just blow it. Really? All right, yeah, let's go. <laughs> you know, taking them up to uh, the different firehouses. So, you know, did that for a while. And then, you know, you, you get your different assignments. And um, we did that for a few days. And then we realized that we're doing confined space. They had us looking for, for the gold. There was gold, billions of dollars worth of gold. I'm like, screw you. I had enough of this. So I, I went into um, body recovery. I went to work for Chief Fellini, who was my battalion chief up in Harlem, who was now the acting chief of department. He took over for Feehan. Huh. And um, they were one of the uh, one of the tough ones was Timmy Stackpole. He um, <laughs> Timmy was a. Uh, if you ever read like uh, the Last Men Out, the books about Rescue Two, Timmy was the Atlantic Avenue fire. So if you ever read about the Atlantic Avenue fire, Timmy was the captain that burned his legs severely, and Scotty Lapidre died. Scotty Lapidre died, mm -hmm. and they they uh they didn't think Tim was ever going to come back to duty. And then what? It was like a week before 9/11, he came back. Two days before, it something was, like that. Yeah, I he, think he got promoted and whatever. And he was with Chief Cross. Chief Cross was gentleman, total gentleman. Um, 
Timmy actually was in 114 when I went to 109. And the jobs, everything was a job. You know, he was just so spirited. Um, his brother Mikey was on the job. Mike, you know, I'd, I'd seen Mikey that night. He was like, listen, they're, they're gone. Nothing we can do. You know, we got to get Libretti back. We got to get Sack, you know, Timmy back. So I went, next thing you know, in this, overseeing this hole where they, we, we found Chief Cross and Timmy. It was right in front of the Deutsche Bank. And um, very hard decision to make. He, um, the, these, you, you got to love New York City firemen, you know, the, the, especially at that time. They didn't care what they were touching, what they were getting into, how sick, how hurt. You know, we got to get a body, you know, we got to get a piece, something. And these guys, you know, I mean, we're a week and a half into it. They're a mess. And um, Timmy's head was underneath a stack of 27 tons of beams. Nothing we could do. And I had to make a decision. And you know, two guys come out of the hole, like, let's yank him out. Cut what you got to cut. Let's go. We'll mark it. We'll come back. And actually, um, Chief Fellini, I, I went to jump back and push me back. He's like, This is the highest ranking person in New York City Fire Department. You will do what he says. And I felt bad. This guy's from 103, which is where his uh, godfather was from. And these are the best of the best. You know, I'm just some retired guy, but it was the right choice. But I later on, I got to see the family, and they're like, No, Timmy, be proud. You did what Timmy would have done, you know, and that's what you got to do. Um, you know, working with the dogs, you know, the bulldozers pull the stuff down and, like, you know, good, well, good day, you know, found a glove, pull it back. Oh, Russo, okay, good. No, we can have a funeral. Everybody's like, what do you mean? So you understand. All you need is something. We can have a funeral. We can close the books on this one. Give the family something. I mean, to me, that's a mistake that they made. They just should have recovered everybody. Nobody needs to know the truth. There's so many families out there that hurt. You know, and there's other families, like I mentioned, uh, Chief Petroselli. Chief Petroselli is one of the kindest men you're ever going to meet. Him and his poor wife, um, their son Al. Al was a fireman with us. Al, I think Al's a chief. Um, the other son did not want to be a fireman. He always had a fear that he would die in a fire. That poor kid just got his, broke his license two weeks before, and the plane came through his floor. And I think after like the fourth time, Al got a call that they found something. He's like, you know what? I don't want to stop. You're killing me. You know, and it was just, it was brutality. You know, this poor guy keeps on getting calls. Oh, we found his thigh. We found his kidney. You know, who wants to hear that? You know, and um, it, it's, it's got so many facets to it, you know. Through um, a personal friend, when his mother was graduating nursing school, this one guy, Greg Buck, Greg was from 201 Engine. I called in a favor to get him put in 201. It's a nice, safe place. This guy just became a nurse, accomplished pianist, handsome guy. I think he was a cabinet maker and really talented guy. You know, and he really wasn't a New York City fireman, but he actually learned to adapt and fit in. Like, the first couple months, they're like, what's up with this guy? I said, he's a little finer than you drunken idiots, you know. Like, <laughs> 201, I, I went out partying with them, you know, it, it, the, our alleged fishing trips and stuff like that. What a, oh, my God, the fun that we had with these guys. They actually kidnapped me one night. <laughs> Coming out of study group, I walk out of the building, and the van jumps the curb. Arm comes out, and they grab me, and off they go. You, know, you think the guys in the firehouse will get upset? They're like, eh, they'll give them back. And nobody said nothing. <laughs> You know, four in the morning, I'm, I'm still out with these guys drinking. Uh, great guys. So it took them a little while. 
but um, they actually found Greg entombed like this, you know, in front of the building. You know, I don't, I don't think it was a mark on him, so he must have, you know, you, you hear all the stories, unfortunately. You know, like you said, you found a glove, you can find this, you know. We're, we're marking things with flags because we're watching the dogs have a problem. I mean, it was just nothing but problem after problem. Then the fighting started, you know, and it, it, was, it was actually a nightmare. I did it for seven and a half weeks on my own dime. And um, finally, a, a chief that I, who was a fireman up in Harlem again, this guy, Mike Portland, he said, he's like, why are you here? He said, you did good. You know, he says, Bobby Sweeney told us what you did. We know you did good at Flight 800. You have nothing to prove. I'm like, listen, I had to get, you know, help find my kid's godfather. We talked for like an hour or so. And you know, we laugh, in fact, you know, how much we hated each other, you know, 20 years prior. Right. And, you know, it was, it was all part of being on the job. We just didn't understand each other. And he's like, yeah, I, I went from uh, lieutenant, um, I'm a chief in seven weeks. You know, he said, it's crazy. This is going to kill us. He's like, do you smoke? He's like, no. He said, good, have a cigarette with me. Smoke the cigarette. He says, now go. Don't you have a race or something to work? I say, actually, I'm supposed to be on a plane in a few hours. He's like, he said, get out of here. Don't come back. And that's what I did. You know, it's just, I'd had enough. You know, I, I didn't realize the toll it had taken until it was time to start, you know, going to funerals. And then after the funerals, you know, it was just, I think I did like 16 or 18 of them. It was a lot. And in, the, in like a couple week period of time. And then when an Australian film crew got in my face, that was it. I lost it. Almost killed the guy. Went home, hung my uniform up, and I don't know if I've been to another one since. Yeah, no, we, we went to Bobby, yeah, we Ryan. went to Bobby Ryan. Bobby Ryan's the guy I grew up with. That's where we met. We were talking to Phil. Um, yeah, it's just just shut off. I don't, I don't do wakes of funerals hardly ever anymore. Can't. You know, and... Um, you try and explain to people. Like I said, I'm a 61-year-old single guy. You know, I'm out there, and I try and explain myself to a woman and to try and explain the dynamic of what we are as police, fire, EMS, you know, people who see what you can't unsee. We're different. We see things differently. We smell things differently. We taste things differently. You know, we live things differently. You know, um... Some people hear cops or firemen sitting there telling war stories. They think it's bragging. No. We debrief every chance we get. People don't understand that. I mean, we're debriefing right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I do the CISM teams. You know, it's part of my therapy. You know, I've, I went through a very big time. After 9-11, everybody's like, oh, my God, he's going to be horrific by the time he gets back. And um, I wasn't. Something shut off. There was, um, we were sitting, this was the fourth or fifth day into it. We were looking for Ray Downey's car. Because supposedly they had an idea where him and his car were. And we were sitting all the way up on the pile. Got to be 100 feet up. And it just started raining, so air horns, and we're just sitting there. I was sitting with a couple guys, and uh, to this day, I swear somebody smacked me in the head. I just like, the guy next to me was like, "What was that?" I'm like, reality. What? I said, "Yeah, it's reality." I said, "I'm looking at my destiny." Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, "Had it not been for bad luck, 
that's my graveyard. I said, I get to look at my own grave and go home. It's like, wow, that's, that's kind of deep. But from that moment on is when I understood. So, um, yeah, I, I left the pile that day, got on a plane. <laughs> it was, you know, it's funny, like, it, I tell people the, the real quick version. When I got on the airplane in Newark, captain, co-pilot, and the stewardess at Rescue 5, and they, I guess they could just see the, the, the tiredness on my face. And she's like, you a fireman? I said, yes. So the captain's like, he says, are you from there? I said, yeah. Have you been there? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, thank you for your service. I'm like, Captain, just get me to Atlanta. I need to get to the racetrack. I can't take any more. This is no problem, sir. Go to my seat, and there's a little old lady there, and I go to my window seat. I sit down and look at her. Put my head down, open my eyes. I'm already in Atlanta. Wow. Passed out. Yeah, you, you, know, you wake up, you're like, oh, yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at her, and you know, the reason I'm saying this is because it's the mindset. Um, I looked at her, I'm like, do I owe you an apology? She's like, son, you come in here with that nice little shirt on. Don't say a word. You just smile. You put your head down, and you go to sleep like that. We asked them, they asked if you were real. And they said, yeah, he's real. And actually, they had me show my ID. And uh, she's like, no, he's, he's real, and he was there. I said, okay. She said, son, looked at you sleeping like that. I said, if you can sleep that way in this plane, she says, I was so scared to be here. You made it great. Thank you very much. She said, I knew I had nothing to worry about if you didn't. Yeah, that's true. And actually, when I stood up in the plane, I got a standing ovation. I don't know whether it was for snoring or just putting <laughs> them at ease. Um, it, it, like I said, it, it was hard, very, very draining, very tough. Uh, and at that point, I realized, you know, after I was done with all the funerals and all that stuff, it was, I had more in me. You know, I had to do more. And that's, you know, when I finally did join the volunteers, um, not knowing the path that would take me. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. New York City Fireman, they're like, what do you have? Do you have in mind? You're crazy. Don't do it. Don't do it. And, you know, like I said, the dynamic is very hard. I mean, the equipment that the volunteers have, some of it is just the finest equipment in the world. Um, I'm not too thrilled. I was never totally impressed with some of the training that some of the places give. And then there's other impromptu training that you can get the best in the world. You know, and my thing is extrication. You know, I, I can teach it. My ways is not what the book says. My style is not what you're going to see. But my style will work very well because I build cars. Um, spent many days with him cutting cars to pieces. And they'd be like, well, we're going to do this. And you know, they supposed other captains and chiefs like, what are you going to do that for? I'm like, let me do it. See what it'll do. Chief, yeah. we're, t we're talking about, you know, this legacy and these experiences you're having. And I can't help but notice that your, your son is sitting here next to you. And, you know, listening to these stories like I am, and, and it just, I can't imagine what he's thinking <laughs> listening to these stories, you know. And, and, uh, and what's awesome is, like, he's following your footsteps now. Like, talk to me a little bit about how that all came to be when, you know. Well, let me interject first because it was hard. It was extremely hard. And I hated him at times. I hated doing it with him because 
he made it harder and I was always the one that was singled out. I could always, you know, I never had the break or the easy, like I can just blend in and be in the background and, you know, just learn to be a fireman. Like, no, well, A, because I had a big mouth, but B, I had my father as a lieutenant, a captain, a chief, and it was hard. So as we go into this side of it, like for me, it was difficult. So for him, I know it was hard because I made it hard on him. You made it hard on yourself, though, too, by making it hard on me. <laughs> I did. Yeah, well, it's a vicious cycle. But you know what, though? I mean, it's if you guys have kids, um, if you're going to let them follow in the family business, you know, there's nothing greater than, you know, a cop teaching their son to be a cop or a fireman to be a fireman. You know, his first fire was challenging. Incredible. Um, but by the time we were done, we had a couple of paid guys from this town that came out and they're like, I didn't know we could fight fire like that. I said, well, that's the way you do it in the big city. Put your head down, shoulder into the back and run. Let's go push. You know what I'm saying? And in the doorway, like a cheerleader. And one guy's like, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. I'm like, I know I'm stuck in this doorway and my pants are on fire. Let's go. You know, put me out and let's go. You know, that that's what you do. What, what was it like for you? You know? Because, again, you had these experiences of your father, you know, very similar, different patch, but very, very similar. I mean, what was it like for you to, to watch your son in his first fire with you? He didn't watch me. He pushed me. He literally put his hand on my back and just off we went. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, tell the story about the first fire. I know you love it. It's, <laughs> let's set the stage. It's Valentine's. It was a couple days before. No, was it, it Valentine's, was Valentine's Day? Day. It was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. It was an ice storm of 2007. And it's a old hundred year old like farmhouse. converted farmhouse like house is solid you know solid bones to it. We were at our house uh, setting up a generator. setting up a generator, so we weren't even at the firehouse because we you know volunteers you do the snow standbys and we had a, we had a standby going, and we took a pickup truck one of the utility trucks <clears throat> to uh, to our house to set up a generator, and working fire comes in. We're we're going straight there. I hear the I hear the first engine get on scene and confirm the working fire fire blowing out a couple windows in the in the rear. I'm like, oh man, this is this is legit. Like we get to go to our first job. And it's funny too because we tried to have them hold off hitting it through the window, but you know, chief made a choice and got to stick with it. So we go get packed up, get some tools, go to the front porch. Chief's like, take the windows. There's actually an incredible picture of a uh, of the house, and it's just him and I. It's you get, the snow is there's snow on the ground, the fire is in the background. There's a, the house is going up behind us, and it's just him and I in the picture. And he's actually he's yelling for a line, and I'm walking up to him with a hook. It's one of the best pictures we've That's you awesome. could ever take as a as a father son pair like doing this job. And it was a it's the best picture we've ever yeah. gotten. It, I love cool. the picture, That's you know, because awesome. I'm sitting there and the fire is blowing out behind me, and you know, I'm on the radio and I'm yelling and he's like, you know, what do you want me to do? Because the line was supposed to be coming and it didn't quite get where it was supposed to go. But um, rookie mistake, he's on the front porch. Chief's like, take the windows. And I'm looking in and it's doing the backwards roll. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm watching the curtains are starting to light up and he's like, I'm going to take the windows. I'm like, no, you're not. He's like, screw you. Yes, I am. I'm like, no. Let's take that roof first. Yeah, he says, well, no. <laughs> Well, Mr. Excitement here, he just, 
<laughs> you, know, you, you want to take that first window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he turned around and he says, you're just the captain. The chief said take the window. So I'm like, okie dokie, hold on a minute. And I step, took a few steps back, knock yourself out. And he proceeded to harpoon the window. And then I proceeded to be looking up at him <laughs> from my back. And the first words he ever said to me was, what'd you learn? I was like, all right, well. Don't listen to the chief. Yeah, we'll make that mistake again. What now? Those are awesome stories. Man. It, oh, it got better. We're not even close yeah. to done with that yet. Because oh. then we get in, and they they relocate the line, so we're going in. I end up on the knob for a little bit, and we pushed. You know, it's a big farmhouse, so the rooms are just big and open, and they all are, are sequential. We push two, three rooms of fire. We make our way to the to the first floor stairway. We go up the stairs a little bit, get beat back down because um, we can't get up top to vent. And then we ended up going out, changing bottles, coming back in work our way back to the stairs. And I mean, we did like two, three bottles worth of work. It just firework, like just consistent in and out, in and out. And uh, finally the chief decides, all right, this is a defensive operation now. Well, no, there's a little funny part to that story. Yeah. With my knucklehead friend. It's a farmhouse on a slab. So finally my buddy Richie, he was the assistant chief. He's like, watch this. I'm like, don't you dare. He's like, I'm tired of this. They're not, they're not letting us do what we got to do. They're not going to vent. So let's have some fun. And he starts jumping up and down, going, floor spongy, floor spongy. That was it. And then he yanked this out. I'm like, I walk out, I'm like, fellas, it's a concrete slab. <laughs> so, but at that point, it was a mute point. They, they were going to lose this thing either way. But right. it was just, it, it, it was an interesting fire. We'll just leave it at that. Um, Five years worth of experience in your first fire. It was great. You see a little family tradition, you know, you get it all <laughs> one shot. Oh, it's making a lot of sense now. Yeah. Um, it, like I said earlier, my dad was a cop and he fought it. I got to embrace it, you know, and it kind of made me feel bad for my father. Right. Because he fought embracing it. He gave me a compliment the other day and he said, as much as I don't know if you want me to be a volunteer ever again. When my son is 16, I will be a volunteer so I can take him to his first fire. Told me the same thing. And so I guess it, did something right. Absolutely. You know? So man. you got to yep. take the good with the bad. And you know what? His sister, Jackson First Aid, you know, like I said, I, I give kudos to anybody who responds. Um, she's helped save lives. She's a nurse. You know, he's been a volunteer. He's been a lifeguard. He saved lives. Been out, you know, Iraq, the Air Force. You know, I mean, total respect. You know, I did something I can't do. You know, and um, I, I think I think it's important, you know, and then that's what's lacking today. You know, I don't want to sound like the old guy, the generational thing, but. No, you've earned you know, that right. Yeah. I know, like, when he went to Harrison, he, and I told him, he's like, Dad, what am I going to do? You're not going to be there. You know, yeah. It's it was, always it was scary. It was scary. Like, that was, uh, you know, like, I, I had been a couple places without him. I, you know, I, I had been in the military and. I I started to make my own path and, and walk my own walk, but this was my career I was walking into, and that was I knew truly like I didn't have him, and that was this was my time to to carve my own road, and it was it was scary. I was I was honestly very scared, and I hadn't felt that kind of fear in a long long time, and it was different. It was very different. Yeah, but it's like I told him though. I said, remember, I am always with you. I'm here. Right. Just like my dad. He, my dad's gone. You know, 19 years, but he's still here. Right. You know, the guys up in Harlem, they sat me on that front bumper or, you know, the 10% rule. 
you know, it, it's still here. You just got to reach for it. And like I said, he gave me a great compliment. So he had a fire. I think it was a warehouse or something where you, he was pushing, pushing, pushing. And all of, a sudden he, all of a sudden he heard something. It clicked. And he said he heard my voice. And when he, Lieutenant's like, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I think we need to back out. He's like, yeah, thank God. And they got out. And I think he said the ceiling came down or something. And, you know, I'm like, all right, good. I, you know, I did my job, you know. And all his, his friends, you know, they... I think, think that has a lot to do with him, too. He's got a an enviable core group of friends. You, know, you guys that he's got here, too, is very enviable, you know, which is, is rare today. Um, I go to their weddings. I go to their parties. You know, I hang out with them. I'll do beer pong with them. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's cool. You know, I'm, I'm still the 30-year-old hanging out with the 30-year-olds. <laughs> um, and and to, to me, that's always been a very important thing, and it's something that they, they give me to cherish, too. It keeps me young and alive. But it's also... They remember me coming down to my basement when they did something stupid and screaming and hollering at them. And they didn't get offended. They remembered. Right. You know, or they needed something. They're like, can I come over and talk to you? Sure. Come on over. Sit down, have lunch, whatever. You know. it, to me, that, that's, again, it's all part of the conditioning. You know, and something I learned in the firehouse. And just keep it going. You know, and yeah, my, I wound up quitting as chief, the volunteers. I, I had some... some Issues that after my divorce, I just had enough, you know, mentally, physically, socially, I was done. You know, I don't like the way it ended, but it had to end. It was time. It's something I told him, too, years ago. I said, a copper fireman knows when it's time. You never see too many guys sit on the fence and hedge. Right. You just turn around one day like, yep, it's time. And yeah. you know, and, yeah. and you go with that. My time hadn't come, but I think I got to make up with it with the volunteers. And we, we had multiple life-saving awards, rescues. We did some killer extrication. The accidents out here are horrific. Yeah, high speeds and crazy roadways. Yeah, yeah I mean, I was Sal Casano was the fire commissioner. He's like, why, Ray? Why are you doing this? I said, boss, you have to understand something. Yeah, they may not have the fires, but I've had some pretty good fires here. I said, the accidents. I said, you have no idea. He's like, worse than here? I said, you can't imagine the damage that happens outside of the city with these cars, trucks, you know, and stuff like that. I said, so it's important. You know, I got to teach some of these kids extrication, you know, and it, it helps. He's, he's good with extrication. You know, his Achilles heel was a dash roll. We used to harass him <laughs> something awful. But finally, you know, you get it. You're not going to get everything in your own time. And that was that was the best part. That's the one thing he actually got to learn, which, again, I, I cherished it. He actually got to learn the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to be good at everything. And once he savored that, he become he had become much better right. at everything. You know, so, again, it's all part of the lessons. You know, what do they tell you when you first join? Don't ever say, I know. Yeah, because you don't. Right. And the guy who thinks he knows it all is the worst or the most dangerous guy in the house. You ain't kidding. You know, and, and that's all part of it. So, I mean, it, I'm a very lucky guy. I got to work with the Phil Ruvalos, the Paul Hashagans, you know, the Danny Librettis and the Timmy Stackpoles. And, I mean, I, I, you know, Commissioner Cassano. I'm not going to find a better man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the guy I went to high school with, you know, I'm going to be somebody one day. He's a lieutenant. You know, Joey LaPointe runs the ceremonial unit. I mean, the, the, the names of people I, I could throw at you. And it's, you know, it, 
going to my son's first fire, you know, and having to, if, if you're lucky enough to save a life. You know, people watch Chicago PD and Chicago yeah. Fire and think, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, you can't see nothing. It It's black. It's nasty. How many people actually make a grab? Right. You know. Right place, right time. Yeah, it's yeah. all timing, man. Yeah. A lot of it is timing. And that was a lesson I had to learn, too. Like, I was, you know, I, I, it took me a long, very long time to learn that I didn't have to be as good as him. And I used to ask him all the time, like, how do I be better than you? How do I get good? You know, like, I want to be like you one day. And, uh, you know, it, it took a real long time to understand that I was never chasing his shadow. Like, I didn't, I didn't have to fight those ghosts. Like, I just, I thought I was in my own head. I was fighting myself, trying to live up to that reputation that he has and he was. And, you know, it, it took it took a lot to humble myself to get to the point that I realized, like, I don't have to be him. I'm walking my own road. And, you know, and to me, the one day, like, it, it was, like he said before, like, it was like a light switch. And I finally realized, like, I don't have to be you. I can be my own person. I can walk my own path. And, and that's where I really started to understand the things that he was teaching and trying to you know, make me understand and why I was resisting for so long. So it was, it was cool. And it took, you know, like it was cool to finally start to understand things and really see things in that different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Absorb the experience, you know, like he says, he says, no, I want to get the medals like you. I'm like, no, you don't. They come with too heavy of a price tag. I said, be smarter, get promoted, go live your life. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing my father said to me when he pushed me in the elevator, go live your life, take your children, and go enjoy them. Go enjoy your life. Don't enjoy. What yeah, it's just a strong life. message and one that gets passed by too often. You know? Sure it does. Yeah. You know, it's 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 incredible. And we did get lucky too. Like he was able to watch me get Fireman of the Year in my first three, four years in Harrison. I was able to, you know, I got Fireman of the Year twice out you of pure luck. Corrections too. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple life saving awards with the short time I have of corrections, and uh, you know, I got a couple medals. And to me, that was like at the time I didn't understand, you know. The, the significance of getting the medals and you know i always used to say like oh you know i want the grab i want the grab i always want you know who doesn't want the grab as yeah. a fireman but i finally started to understand that I, I don't need these things like my father got to watch me get fireman of the year for saving a, a baby and then having a you know the next year was an incredible group effort and we got a uh, you know a unit award for saving a guy that fell four stories and was impaled and you know it, it it changes things. It, it makes you look at things differently and understand things differently. And the funny part with that impaled one, that was, it was um, Tony Erico was the lieutenant, and that was the one drill that he made us do a couple times to slide down the pole hole. And I, he remembered the story, and it's funny. He said to me, he said, as soon as I saw him, I knew what I, I knew what to do. Yeah, I remember actually when Ray came on the show. That had just happened. That just had happened, and, yeah. and we he reflected on that incident on, on the show. Yeah, so, was, something as simple as yeah. talking about a drill, yeah, you know, impacted a person's life. You have no, and that that's the one thing that I try to instill into people. You have no idea what one action can do. Right. You know, just all you have to do is be a good person and try. You know, and yeah, I did the volunteer thing. You know, and. You have had surgeries, I have a lot of pain. I, there's some days I can hardly walk. You know, other days, you know, you can't even tell, you know, but that's, it's all choice. I, I chose to be who I, I was. And you, you, know? you were a volunteer for almost nine, ten years yeah. of active service. Like, you know, 
he never skipped a beat and he was always the fastest one on the fire ground he was always when he did wear his gear he was the first one dressed you know he was the first one with the fires he didn't lead from from the car he he would transfer command and take us in and you know it was it was different we were aggressive and we were led by him and you know me and him had some good knockout drag out fights at fires too and uh you know they were all lessons that can be learned but you know even with all your injuries you were still able to do it and never let anyone beat you no no you, you just do it that's what you do you know you know it's it's difficult to even put all this into words there was so much said today and so much uh history and and so much passion for the fire service and you know off camera uh we all had an opportunity to talk here you know john tyler you know all of us and it's just it's incredible to be able to reflect on on your amazing amazing career uh and not not only with the fdny but obviously your time volunteering and for me it's it's special having uh ray as a friend uh, a good friend and then on top of that being able to talk to you and, and learn all about you i've heard from ray you know some of these things but not not to the level it was today and it's a I just want to thank you for, for everything. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, this is a great experience. I think the message that you're putting out is, is tremendous. I mean, it, enjoy the experience. I mean, it's his message. You know, don't, don't hurt yourself. Don't be stupid. You no, know, reach out. There's people that'll help you. You know, there's there's more to it. I mean, it's we could talk here for hours about experiences. I mean, we didn't even talk about the NASCAR stuff, you know, right. being in Walmart, having Kerry Earnhardt smack him in the back of the head, tell him, don't disrespect <laughs> your, your daddy. You know, Joey Logano popping him in the ribs saying, you know, don't be a smart ass to your dad. You know, after, you know, when 9-11 happened, uh, the guys at Talladega were trying to get stuff to have an auction to get some money. You know, Jeff Gordon wanted to meet the New York City fireman. When I walked up, Jeff's like, What's Ray doing here? Then we looked and like, you know his name? He's like, yeah, it's Ray. He says, I didn't know you were a New York City fireman. I said, we never got to that point, Jeff. You know, yeah. he's like, oh, my God. And the guy sent 20-something thousand dollars worth of stuff to Canada for them to auction off. He's like, whatever you need, I'm so sorry. You know, it's life's experiences. Take right. them. You know, there's a lot out there. A lot of great experiences with my kids. Um, I mean, I have three kids. Two of them are, are responders. Um you know, working NASCAR tracks, um, just helping to shape them into what they are. I mean, it's um, it, to me. It, to me, it's it. Like I said, it, it's there's no regrets. You know, it's some things didn't work out the way I would have wanted to. Um, yeah, I got the medal in 109. Well, 109 will always be one of my favorite places in my heart. Started out in '69 engine. You know, great one of the greatest companies in the world. That's where. Uh, uh, Davidson died a couple of years ago. His dad was one of the guys there when I was there. Bobby Davidson. I guess you can call him, you know, like a mentor. You know, it broke my heart to see that. I remember when the kid was born. You right. know, and you know, it, it's all part of the process. I'm grateful that um, my injuries were not not as bad as they could have been, and I'm actually grateful for my injury because I don't think I'd be here today. And um, I, I, I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to have done that to my children. Not that anybody does it on purpose, you know. It's, it's been hard enough on my kids, my life, my marriage, my demeanor, my family. You know, with so many 
the ways I, I've handled some things, you know. The guys at work, I drove them nuts sometimes in the city. There's other times, too, I do anything for them. You know, it's just type A personality, I guess. But it's it's what we do. Um, it'll, I guess till the day I die, maybe it'll be on my headstone. You know, <laughs> he is what he is, you know. It's, right. Um, all I can say is don't regret anything you do in the fire service. You know, if you can take your kid and help them join volunteers or just you know, do it. Um, a lot of guys don't understand what I did in the city, you know, coming out here and volunteering. Um, I think it was a tremendous experience to just show him what he could be. You know, everything he is, he's, he's done on his own. Like I said, he, he joined the Air Force and went overseas. I, I can't even, you know, begin to tell you. Not that, with his approval either. I was afraid you had my luck. You know, I was afraid something was going to happen to you. And the night, the day he deployed was January 3rd. That's the day John Martinson died, line of duty. Grew up with Johnny. Johnny, nice guy. You know, they were, I'm bringing him to McGuire at 5.30 in the morning, and they're looking at me going, sorry, boss, sorry for your loss. I'm like, what are you talking about? Next, you know, oh, this guy Johnny something. I'm like, Johnny, nice guy? You know, it's one of my closest friends in the world. Just died in line of duty. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sending this, this kid off on a plane to, right. to go to a foreign country where they got spiders that tackle camels. <laughs> to me, it just didn't seem right. You know, it's, it works out, you know. Well, tell me about these front pieces here because we're talking about legacy and about uh, the passion for the job, and, and these are incredible. Yeah, I mean, we got to give all credit to the kid that did it. I mean, Chase, Chase, if you're listening to this. A talented kid, man. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I messaged this kid just as, you know, I wanted to get him a present for for Christmas. You know, a, a memorable present. Like, we've always talked about the front piece over here, this, the split piece. Like, I've always had that image in my mind. You know, the, that one day I wanted to take my career shield and mix it with his career shield. And, uh, and lo and behold, this this kid just kills it. I mean, yeah. knocks it out of the park. The thing's in, it's beautiful. And then, we you know, we got to talking a little bit about him, and he made the rest of these pieces for me. And it's, uh, you know... I can't take the kid enough. They're yeah. just amazing. So that's I, my point on it. I, I had the opportunity to, you know, as you know, interview uh, his dad and him uh, as well. And uh, what a great kid, you know, and the dad is super great too. I mean, it's just a... Uh, it shows a lot of heart. Absolutely, man. And be that young and, and have that much talent. I mean, this kid's going to, he's going places. Yeah. Without a doubt. So... You know, it's funny too, because like I said, there's kind of a message that my son is sending with that front piece because it's... It really is. It's what this podcast is about. It's the combination of the, the, the two lives. Right. You know, it are the same. You know, it's um, it's like tattoos. I have two. But only because they have meaning. I don't believe in just random tattoos. You know, which we've had this debate. <laughs> um, but the one on my arm is for 110 men. You know, it's a 9-11. It's, it's a one of three piece. The one on my shoulder, everybody thought I was nuts. But it's basically... I'm leading the fireman out of the flames. You know, it's fireman leading the fireman, and there's a hand coming out of the clouds. And he didn't appreciate it at first, but basically it's my father's guiding hand who guided me to guide him. Yeah, it's awesome. It's the same message. You know, it, it's, yeah, it's awesome. You know, so when I saw that, I looked at that, I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, yeah. it's the kid gets it. 100%. Yeah, you know, yeah 100%. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of different stories here. You know, 241, 109, 69 engine is a... From the Metal Day book, you know, a volunteer chief, you know, with, with the dirty white helmet. Yeah, it's cool. You know, it's 
it's all part of the story. And like you said, too, the, the greatest part is like the display case inside that you saw. You know, same, same as what you're doing here. This will far outlive me and my legacy. You know, and it's, it's, it's all you can do. I mean, it's, 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 it's tough to explain to people. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a single guy, so if I try and explain myself to somebody, sometimes we, I come across a little intense and try and explain. Well, listen, brother, now what? because I gave you the gift, you can just say, <laughs> check out this YouTube hey, here's link. My YouTube thing. And then, and then in three hours later, she'll be like, you know what? I, I, we're good. Let's go to Chick fil A. We're good. You can probably put this in your Tinder profile. Yeah, you can put <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what, you know what? A, a stupid moment. After 9-11, I got invited down to Georgia, a little town of Abaha, Georgia. Met some fabulous people. Uh, actually, uh, Jarrett, this kid Jarrett Dean, was five at the time. Yeah, wonderful family. And uh, a couple days into 9-11, I got this handwritten card. Turns out they knew somebody who knew me. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, uh, I was told, you know, make sure you respond to this kid. So you're not thinking clearly, you know, right. about a week into it. And I took a piece of pink construction paper that I haven't realized <laughs> it in like a colored pencil and I wrote a quick note, threw it in an envelope and I mailed it back and I went back on the pile. Uh, actually, the, the, day, the day I took off was the day that um, there was like 26 guys found in the stairway. We'd worked on that. So I was, I wanted no part of it. It was the first day I took off. But um, the short of it all is I wound up, you know, meeting this kid and, course what do they do you know you gotta make a speech <laughs> uh, okay you know so I'll make a little short little speech as i go to step off the stage it's about 20 kids standing there with paper pens can i have an autograph and that's one of my most stupid moments in my life i know what to do so you say you know it's a famous moment yeah <laughs> I, I did an autograph and i did not know what to do and i i even if I did remember, I wouldn't admit to it because I wrote right. something probably totally retarded. You know, it's it's not. I'm that's not me. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I tell people I was. I didn't talk to anybody in high school, but you put the helmet on, and you know, watch out. I'm going to tear your head off. Yeah, it's you awesome. It's it, so there. There is a lot to this. And like I said, you know, meeting some of the people I met down in Georgia, you know, Jared and his, you know, his mom and dad. I still wear the jacket that his mom and dad made a little embroidery. I'll wear that jacket forever. That's awesome. You know, and it, it's like a, 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 what do you call it? Like a varsity jacket. Varsity jacket. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, the logo on the back is 100,000 stitches. I mean, the time that these people put into it. Yeah, they, don't, they handmade it. It was. Yeah. So, again, of, you know, there's, there's so much experience. So much. I mean, I've lived a tremendous life. I'm 61, and I'm not going anywhere. Absolutely. Lot, better, not, to do. better not go anywhere. Nah. Right. How do you put all this into words, man? This, this, this. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you can put it into words, man. Like I, like I said, I, I grew up different and, uh, you know, at first I didn't want to be a farmer I wanted nothing to do with this life. I wanted nothing to do with, you know, I watched what he went through and I watched the, the ups and the downs and the agony and, you know, and then, uh, you know, nine eleven happens and I lost my godfather and watched him lose so many friends. And I made a promise to myself that day that I was going to do my part and go get my piece. <coughs> and, uh. You know, I, I wanted to be a Marine, and I wanted to go over there and do what Marines do. He shot it down, and then we made a deal. Like, all right, let's, you know, go be a fireman in the military and try to make something of it. And, uh, you know, I, I've shaped my life to, to emulate him and take all the lessons that 
I've learned from him over so many years and so many experiences, you know, and uh, I've tried to do my best to to do better and be better, be a better person to do, do everything he's told me to do, but better. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've lived in, in my short time here and, you know, been able to experience the things I did with him. And, you know, I can only hope that one day I get to do that with my son. And, you know, he gets to see his grandson do what we did. And uh, I don't even know how to put it into words, honestly. Like, it's just, it's been a, it's been a good ride. And, I've had the best mentor that anyone could possibly have. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been something. Well, it's just, it's just good that we were able to, uh, you know, get you guys together and do this. And, uh, again, this, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's always going to be there. Right. So this will always be there. And anytime you can always sit and watch and reflect on this day and, and had this opportunity to talk and it was, it was good stuff. So no, I appreciate the opportunity. I also appreciate, the message that, like I said earlier, the message that you put out to people that, you know, nobody's, you know, no, no, nobody's out there alone, you know, right. they're, 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 you're showing all these resources, all these people, all these careers, you know, all these different aspects of life, you know, and I mean, police fire EMS is the, the greatest thing you can do, you know, in, in our free country here and, uh, you know, I think it helps shape guys too, and you're putting a message back out that's lost. And I thank you for that. I appreciate it, and we're de we're definitely trying. And we, I'm surrounded by the best people doing it too, so it definitely makes it not only fun but but even more rewarding when I'm surrounded by the people we're surrounded by. We have such an amazing crew. Uh, you know, we got obviously Ray, Tyler, John Anderson, and we got Chris Alpegate, Chris Hansen. I mean, we just really do have a solid crew of guys, and and. Uh, Everyone is all like-minded. Everybody wants to do the best of the best for fire servers and for each other. So we're very fortunate. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's never been a competition or, or anything else. Like we, we, we all have the heart that we talked about tonight. Like it's all about doing the right thing and showing the, the better message and showing that, you know, just highlighting that there is good people out there. There's good people to listen to that this job isn't, it's not just a t-shirt and a hat. Like he said before. And, Right. You know, like listen to the messages of, of death and sorrow and misery and like know what this job could be. Yeah. Know what the you know you think you get a t shirt and you just get to go home every day, but you don't. And it's there's a lot of lessons to be learned from all this, you know, as it sinks in and you listen to this and you know, take it for what it is and respect the job for what it is. And that message needs to be like he said, it needs to be more prevalent in today's world and and especially today's fire service. Absolutely. Bye. Uh -huh.